Hey, this is Andre Gower from the Monster Squad and Wolfman's Got Nards, and you are hanging out with Draw One Last Breath. Welcome to Draw One Last Breath Podcast. My name's Matt. And I'm Paul. On the 73rd episode, we have a special one for you this time. We are reviewing the latest offering from Benson and Moorhead, Synchronic. We have a special, very, very special interview with Andre Gower. And we'll be reviewing from the movie from the vault, Monster Squad. How have we done it again? How have we managed to you know sync up our episode our episodes it's almost like <laughs> fucking it's almost awesome. like we're getting good at it mate <laughs> after 73 episodes yeah man it's uh that was um so we're recording on a thursday and we recorded the interview with uh andre gower literally last night it was fucking fun man so i can't wait for you guys and girls to fucking hear that yeah how uh, you been anyway you good yeah, very good. Yeah, not um not been that busy in uh, the last couple of weeks. I know like Walking Dead's restarted. Have you been watching that? Nope. Yeah, and this is I think for the first two episodes or whatever whatever they are. So I'm not really I haven't got access to that. So I'm not I'm waiting for that to come out. Um, I watched that re- recommendation though that you gave me in the week. Um, called I Care a Lot. Oh yeah. Um, very good, like just a nice thriller, you know. That was kind of uh, a bit different to see something a bit different, wasn't it? She's like, very good, that Rosamund Pike and stuff like that, and stuff like that, and it was very different. And it's nice seeing um, Pierre Dinklage in something else, and I yeah, uh, love him. Yeah, it was uh, it was really good actually. I recommend anyone that it's free on Prime as well. So yeah, it was a it was a good good change of pace. W- won a Golden Globe as well. Golden Globe. Whether <laughs> that means anything. Fair enough. What about you? You watched anything good? Wow. I'm not going to... No spoilers, obviously, but we both have seen the finishing episode of WandaVision. Yes. Fucking mm. awesome. So just close your ears right now if you haven't finished it, but as it can be a quick spoiler, obviously we've got to talk really quickly on the fact that this is supposedly leading straight into the Doctor Strange movie. Is that right? That's what I've heard. I mean, Doctor Strange 2... Um, the Multiverse of Madness is out next year, I believe, 2022. Um, so we've got, we should have Black Widow and Spider-Man later on in the year, No Way Home, and then for Love and Thunder, and then I think it's this one, which is supposed to be an all-out horror. Now, if they sort of, if it's tonally kind of the same as what we've just witnessed with WandaVision, it'll be good. It won't be all-out horror, but it'll be kind of almost like Twilight Zone-ish which is still sort of in that wheelhouse. But it'd be very interesting to see what they do with it. I have yeah, um, it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I really fucking enjoyed WandaVision. I thought it was something different, refreshing, really good to see that, that sort of character development. And we got, you know, um, some good some good energy coming from it. It was really, really That's cool. Brilliant. Dark grief, dealt with mental health. I kind of really, it was like, it was really strong, really strong. So, yeah. 
fucking fucking good. And next one probably won't be will probably be some kind of action espionage thing with uh Winter Soldier and the Falcon Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. <laughs> That'll be more like action packed, I think. So Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think there'll be a lot of fighting in that one. Fighty fighty. Fisty cuffs. Yeah. So yeah. I can't wait. It'll be good, you know, it'll be I like those I like that duo, so it'll be quite interesting to see him. Yeah. It but yeah. That's pretty much my my little thing. You want to get on to some newsy news news news? Let's do some news. What you got? Fill my ears with news. Um. Okay. Turbo Kid. Haven't heard about Turbo Kid in a while. Oh, what movie? Uh, fucking incredible. Like, um, premiered at uh, Fright Fest. Fucking what? Two thousand and fifteen, I think it was. It was, like, it was like our second Fright Fest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long time ago. Well, not that long. Well, anyway. Um. They have uh, launched a video game. In oh, like really? A little sort of. It looks. I've seen. And there goes a little trailer out at the moment, and it's, it looks a bit like the pixels, sort of similar to Paperboy. Do you remember the okay. old yeah, Commodore yeah, 64? Yeah. Like, the, like the 8-bit kind of thing. Yeah, I imagine the fucking music to it is going to be awesome to, to watch, but it's uh, pixel-based goodness, um, and it should be coming in uh, 2022. Fucking awesome. Um, the video game comes from Outer Minds. So, okay. I'll be uh, quite interested to see that. The, the trailer's quite cool. So oh, I bet that'd be rather cool. I, bet, I wonder yeah. if it's like the you fight the bosses and stuff, like end of level thing, kind of like Streets of Rage. Yeah. That'd be awesome. On the sort of grindhouse sort of fix, spare parts that we saw and loved in uh, last, the Digital Fright Fest that we attended, um, has got a DVD release. And a awesome. fucking awesome... DVD cover. I haven't got the date for the release, unfortunately, but the, if you can look it up, the the the, the actual DVD cover is fucking ace. I'm going to show it to you now because I can. Do, do, do. See that? Sweet. I'll post that on social media. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. But so that'd be cool. Looks Pick cool. That bad boy. Uh, more more good news. A Quiet Place Part Two has uh, been bumped up from September to May. So it's got uh, American listeners. It's uh, Memorial Day weekend. So my birthday weekend. Uh, and it should be like May 28th. So that'd be fucking awesome. So they did push it back to September 17th. So now I guess, you know, things are happening and they pushed up the release day. So fuck yeah, quiet place too. Yes, please. Not only that, we can go back to the cinema, hopefully. Yeah. That'd be fucking ace, man. Interesting one here. Uh, I don't know if it's good news, but it's news. Bruce Campbell has confirmed Evil Dead Rise begins filming in New Zealand later this year. Yes, he's, I saw that. Yeah. He's not actually starring in it. No, but, no, um, he's, he's a lot around the producing and kind of all the back kind of things of it, isn't he? Yeah. So, but we'll see. You know, if it's in that sort of um, in the the sort of dead, uh, deadite sort of world, then fuck it. I I watch it. I I love the sort of world anyway. I know it's like centered around him. After Evil Dead 2, but surely it. if it's filming over there, it will be that sort of thing as well, because of like the backdrop of there. It's yeah. like it's got to be like full on like skeletons and fucking demons and shit. Man, look at bad taste, man. Fucking hell, yeah. New Zealand's great. And I've got the last bit, I believe, is a bit of Sam Raimi news. He's a fucking busy cat. I know he said he's working on something with uh, Rob Savage and, and Jed Shepard, but he's had time, and as well as being involved in, you know. Uh, 
Doctor Strange 2, well, he's directing Doctor Strange 2, fucking getting lots of kudos off Mr. Cumberbatch at the moment. Um, but he is producing a, de- uh, a sort of horror movie called The Unholy, which was formerly titled Shrine, which stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah, I've seen the uh, trailer drop today, right? Yeah, trailer drop today. Um, it follows... freaky, mate. Yeah, mate, mate, honestly. It looks fucking So what is it up. called? Is it called Unholy? Because the one I watched it was Shrine. Yeah, well, it's called... It says uh, they've changed the name to The Shrine. Okay, right, okay. So... Interesting. Based on James Herbert's novel, Shrine. Okay. James, Her- James Herbert. Interesting. Follows Alice, a young hearing-impaired girl, who, after a oh, supposed visitation from the Virgin Mary is inexplicably able to hear, speak, and heal the sick. As word spreads and people from near and far flock to witness her miracles, a disgraced journalist, played by uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, hoping to revive his career, visits a small New England town to investigate. When terrifying events begin to happen all around, he starts to question if these phenomena are the works of the Virgin Mary. or something much more sinister. I mean, the fucking trailer's like fucked up, so... But it's got a great cast creepy demons yeah the cast is great William Sadler is in it Carrie uh, Carrie Elwes uh, however you say his name from fucking Princess Bride Saws Princess Bride and, and, oh yeah uh, yeah yeah well, how do you say his name Carrie Carrie oh. Elwes oh, <laughs> I'll say his surname <laughs> whatever but yeah some fucking good shit man and I and I know that you've got some loads of different news as well so yeah. hit me so, I'll start off with a bit of funny news, actually. To celebrate the 20 years of Universal Studios in Japan, they've released a Jaws hot dog. Oh, <laughs> it looks so funny. What? It literally looks like Jaws with a penis coming out of his mouth. It's mm. just like a bread roll with a sausage hanging out of it. But I just thought it was funny. Why, why, why has that got any relevance to any of the movies? Just a, a promotional thing, isn't it? Just I'm just trying to think. Years. Okay, fair enough. Everybody fine. wants a Jaws. Everybody loves Jaws. Why not buy a Jaws hot dog? <laughs> you know? That is a shame. Weird. However, <laughs> this next bit of news is pretty fucking interesting. I don't know if you've seen about this. Rob Zombie is working on a new movie. Ooh. So he has been given the keys from Universal, of all people, to do a movie of the monsters. Fuck off. Yeah, not a only dark that. Version of the monsters, or are we going to get it's, a little? Mate, I think it might be slightly dark. Maybe I don't know, but this is the crazy thing. So, Sherry Moon has been cast as Lily Munster, which is the mum. <laughs> okay, obvious of obvs. Yeah, so he's obviously got his crown because uh, Jeff Daniels has been cast as Herman, which is obviously mm-hmm. like the Frankenstein dude, and Richard Brake's going to be in it. Not only that, um, Alvira is going to be in it. <laughs> As herself is Cassandra Peterson. Like, literally, is going to be a character, but they've not said what characters they're going to be. But it starts shooting in May already. So, I can't yeah. see it being light and fluffy, can you? I don't know, man. I, it's, I, I, can't, I can't see it being violent, violent. I mean... And most of far better than the fucking... Um, Adam's family, like from a TV show perspective. You know, I remember the monsters. I, I quite, yeah. I quite remember that quite vividly. And but it would be interesting. It's just, I just don't know if it will have a comedy element into it because obviously Rob Zombie isn't comedy, is he? So well, it's oh. a sick, sick kind of comedy. I find it funny. <laughs> but it might be like really kind of retroy, kind of like style, kind of. I don't know. I really don't know what to expect. 
Because that's yeah. all the information there is. So they're, shoot, they're shooting it in May. Sweet. Which is very that. interesting. More um, zombie, more zombie. We'll keep, we'll keep you abreast of what's going on with that. Oh, yes. Okay, like that, Elvira, breasts. What? Oh, dear. Come on, we're a politically correct show here. Um, so the next bit of news, the last bit of news I've got, there's a new movie coming to Shudder. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. It's called The Power. The Power? No, I haven't. It's a British movie, a British cast, what looks like it, and some Irish uh, cast members as well. Um, it's literally set in 1974. It's set, it's, seven, it's set around kind of like apparently when there were a lot of uh, electric blackouts. Um, and it centers around this hospital uh, and they've got to deal with a blackout one night and some crazy shit starts going on. Um, it looks literally supernatural, ghosty kind of thick. The stuff that gives you the willies, mate. The big willies. I don't like getting the willies when I'm on my own. No, it looks freaky, but um, it's coming out on April 8th um, on Shudder and it's an exclusive Shudder movie, so... Well, I'm about to... Looks like it might be one for the pod. Yeah, well, I'm about to abandon all other stuff and get and start getting into a deep dive on um, Shudder. I'm going to go deep. I'm going to start fucking literally tearing through it like a fucking terrier. <laughs> nice. Okay, cool. All right, well, that's all go. my news I've got. We did the news. And now, moving on to our main review. You know, they say we see everything once in this game. Pretty sure we've never seen this. I think they need help. So this episode's main review, we are reviewing Synchronic, the latest movie from Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, starring fucking Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dorman. The uh, movie centers around two New Orleans paramedics whose lives are ripped apart when they encounter a series of horrific deaths linked to a designer drug with bizarre and outwardly effects. The kind of plot um, it follows these two guys, Jamie Dorman and Anthony Mackie. Uh, lots of lots of weird fucking deaths are happening, like we said. Um, you know, they start to unearth the fact that this drug is sort of doing something to people. It's connected um, in what they're yeah. finding. And uh, inadvertently, like, as part of the movie, um, Jamie Dorman's daughter goes missing. And they're sort of like, and, you know, Anthony Mackie wants to find her. And that's sort of the generally what this movie is about. And it's about exploring the mind and the fucked up imagery that uh, these two fucking heroes, like um, Benson and Moorhead, like to do. As we saw in Endless, this this movie is just incredibly visual. Um, the music is absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's just a stunning thing to watch. I mean, Anthony Mackie, I watched him in something else on Netflix not so long ago um, when he was like playing some kind of AI. He's just going from strength to strength, that bloke. I love watching him. I think he's got such strength of character. And Jamie Dorman as well. I, I really like him. Um, you know, he's in... <laughs> That you can kind of, sh- he can, he's so easily shrugged off Fifty Shades of Grey for me. But what did you, what did you think about it, mate? Same. I, I was blown away. And I mean, we're, we're, fan, we're fans of um, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Obviously, we've covered their movies. We championed them, championed them from the start. But the thing is, with this movie, you are bang on because the um, kind of chemistry 
between Anthony Mackie's character and Jamie Dornan's character is brilliant. Like the way they talk to each other, you almost believe they've been friends forever. Um, yeah. We're going to have to go into some spoilers in a bit because to, to talk about it. And so, if, you know, if you want us to pause it and come back, then cool. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Visually, these guys just know what the fuck they're doing. And you know what about these type of movies? You l- Lately, we haven't had a lot of these kind of really thinking, mind-bending movies around. There's been a lot of franchises. There's been a lot of Marvel. There's been a lot of action franchise shit being churned out. But then you get a film like this that comes along. May I add, it's quite low budget, and they must have spent some money on the ca- on, on the actors because they're, they're not going to come cheap. Anthony Mackie is not cheap. Jamie Dornan is not cheap. So they must have spent a lot on that. But what they've done with the budget in showing the kind of visualization of, of what's happening is fantastic for the because essentially we're talking about a drug that you take that takes you wherever you're stood it takes you the same place way back in some back in time and you don't know what era it's going to take you back and it only takes you back there for seven minutes am i right that's how long yeah. you are you've the period, got, it takes and every t- every different place you stand seems to be a different period in time yeah and 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 it's just fucking so clever yeah it's just like i know it might not make sense if you've seen the movie obviously it'll make more (laughs) sense because it's hard because these guys are complex script writers they they write so well it's unbelievable like the script is done well just the way it flows, the way it's pieced together. There's not a moment that I got bored. It's only a 96 minutes long film as well. Yeah, man, that's a good thing. In and out, and they get the good, they get the the healthy story. I mean, with Endless, have you seen that? And you've seen all of their imagery that they uh, they managed to conjure up in that sort of low budget, where the little swirls and the little um, pieces, almost like in Midsummer as well, where you know they've got it's, it's obviously computer generated but it does it just it just blends so well and you get these like creepy vines and you have to watch it so closely because it, it does show that real hallucinogenic sort of feeling they do that so well and it bends the screen better than anything that i've seen and i'm sorry better than any nolan like film that they does you know like you compare like those sort of images to like in you know from inception even like doctor strange and uh doctor strange like with the you know where they did did all that but this one is just so su- they just use that kind of technology but in a really really subtle way and it just slightly fractures the the imagery that you're you're seeing and it just works and done in the right way some of the trips and stuff like that i guess that some people are experienced and you see them it's just stunning and there's Along with that, there's these moments of absolute gore. You know, you've got that horror edge, you've got that suspense, you've got that thrill, that, that sort of thriller edge to it. And then you've got the moments where, fuck me, what the fuck chopped him up and what stabbed him? And, you know, there's some real... Not only that, yeah. like you said, it, it, deals with, it deals with some strong issues in there as well. Like, yeah. it has some undertones of strong issues, um, which is not like, it's, 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 it's not kind of like ram down your throat issues. It's like fuck. That would have been real. That you know, you know, when he goes back in time and 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 obviously he's a black man and and it brings up racial issues and it's just so clever how they how they've done it 
how they how they approach it. It's not in yeah. your face. He's, he's he's going back in time to <laughs> I guess the fifties or you know where you know it's not he's not welcome and he's just dropped into a house and it's like he's just, he's just been in you know today and it's like well nothing and then he's having to go into that time and suddenly it's like I'm gonna get fucking strung up. It's just absolutely nuts and it's like different times he goes into a swamp and the ice age mm. fucking so incredible the diversity of it um but it's just there's real uh, the real there's real levels of increased tension and mystery throughout this sort of um beautiful movie not only and, that yeah there's 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 do you not feel like as well it takes you through kind of like it takes you through kind of stages as well because it goes it it goes pretty dark because the main character, um, Steve, that's played by Anthony Mackie, he's obviously found out some bad news. He's he's literally got his terminal cancer. Um, uh, he's he's literally going to die, and it takes you. It goes really dark, and it's just like he. And then when he starts taking, finds this drug and starts taking it, it 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 takes it to another level, and it's almost it's almost light again. And then it's just, and there's some funny moments as well. Um, and then it goes really dark again. But all in all, I think the thing I really liked about this was, is that there's, there is loads of issues and, and, and themes running through it. But at the end, what I could see from it is that people like really will go to the ends of the earth for like friendship and will do something for each other that's way out of their kind of like, remit you know or they'll, they'll push the boundaries to help someone out in need i mean i don't know i don't know what you got from it but I yeah I, I, it was a beautiful movie yeah it's just like literally he's helping his mate and he can't his mate can't help him he can't find his daughter because his daughter's you know <laughs> fucked off or you know took in this drug and she's not come back because you do automatically come back unless you unless you're not in the right place or you're not connected to the right sort of you know place and stuff like that so it's sort of there are rules and it's like he's trying to discover what period you know when he eventually figures it out and like he's trying to figure out what what era she's gone to yeah like, i mean he's I, got to figure out where yeah. she was where she was at the time she entered or took the drug it's like it, it you know it's just chance that you yeah. find out what place it is and and then and where, find she, where she is where she is is just is is a is a really hostile um was it during it was was it trench war was it a civil war i can't remember what it was some kind of some kind of war it looks kind of like i thought it was civil war yeah yeah because there was like boats and and all that sort of yeah, stuff it like was, more it like was muskets strange. and stuff like that so i i it was just like and she's like dug into a wood when he finds it oh and he loses his fucking dog i wanted to punch the fucking yeah, i wanted to punch and his face. Sad. i, I knew that was, that was going to happen and yeah. i was like I was like, you're a dickhead. You're a fucking arsehole. And I know he had to experiment to see if he could take something there and take something back and he'd do all the shit, but he obviously didn't want to... Uh, that was gut-wrenching. That was a yeah. fucking gut-wrenching. And it's like, ah, oh. You and knew it was going to happen. You see, you see a little fade away, doesn't it? His little face fades away and you're like, ah, oh, fuck, he's got... That poor dog's got to stay with that freaking inbred now. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that was messed up. There was a great line in it at some point. I don't know where it was, but... I wrote it down because I thought it was worth mentioning. I love this quote. It said, I haven't felt anything but whiskey and a hard dick in a decade. I just thought that was a great line that I wrote down. 
<laughs> he's, he's not lucky, old Steve, in love, bless no. him. You know, so he's, he's no. concentrating on his job. But yeah, but fucking great movie, really incredible. And um, to be honest, I wanted to see, I want to see it get some pace, man. I want to see it get some limelight. It's popped onto Amazon Prime, and it's nine ninety nine, I think, to to buy at the moment. And he's like, oh, come yeah, on. Yeah, I think it will go to Prime. I think it'll be like literally one of the, a free movie to watch. Hopefully, eventually. Well, where's the marketing? That's the only thing. I'm not seeing the marketing for it to be um, a movie worthy. It's definitely of, not even on the front page yet. Yeah. Of okay. Why is it costing nine ninety nine? I don't. I'm not going to fucking see it. That's but I'd say that. And the day one, I went onto the first on onto Amazon Prime to watch Coming to America two, which is the most streamed film in the whole world ever. It wasn't even on the front page. <laughs> so. <laughs> That could be, that could be, but if you have to search it out, search it out, Synchronic, S-Y-N-C-H-R-O-N-I-C. You said 96 minutes, this is an hour and 42. So, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, it didn't okay. feel like that. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't feel like that. Um, but it's, uh, available to buy starting the 29th of March and it's available to rent at the moment for 9.99. And I really wanted to try and find the budget that they spent on this and I could not find it anywhere, but. It is a low budget. I know that for a fact. Yeah, we're talking less than 10 mil, I reckon. Just overall, mate, great acting, superbly written, brilliant direction, like, deals with strong issues, visually amazing. Like you said, soundtrack teams up with that. Fantastic use of budget, just all around amazing movie. Well, they, they've got, this is a, is this a third movie now with, um, what's the first one? Spiral, was it called? With the no, that's spring. Spring, sorry, with the siren, and and that again messes with that's got tonal like messes with time and stuff like that, and they've got that for an endless is obviously messing with time and space, and this one again is messing with time and space. They've got like a stamp which they're they're comfortable with doing. It's like what they're moving. It's almost like the universe, isn't it? Like yeah, universe. But they're now move. They've now been swapped up by uh the you know the disney the marvel thing and they're going to be doing moon knight i have no idea what the fuck that is about i need to do some investigation to see why they've been picked to do it you know it's time travel (laughs) it must be maybe maybe he can uh, warp or something like that fuck knows but like yeah that'd be interesting what his character does and what they would bring to that so i would think like there's a character called the cloak um, in Marvel where it sort of like envelops everyone can transport them into different areas and stuff like that he's a, quite a weird interesting character sort of side Avenger and I was like oh with the cloak that could be interesting because you know that kind of deals with sort of um, spe- that deals with like space and time I thought that would be quite interesting but I don't know who Moon Knight is so I'm going to have to look up to it but I'm sure it'll have something to do with their wheelhouse because <laughs> they are fucking great here but yeah. yeah, what we what we writing this bad boy then, mate? What 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 you what are you thinking? <sighs> Christ, for me, it's right up there. Um, it's a strong. I think it's a strong nine. Yeah, I wrote nine, nine out of ten. Uh, yeah, nine out of ten. Nine, nine out of ten. Out of ten. It's just like, and I, I don't. And I'm really scared that this is not going to get the love and tension that it deserves. Uh, and I need, it needs some. It needs a boost. It needs some yeah. push. Definitely. Love so get out there and watch the bastard, even if it costs you money. <laughs> it needs to be seen. It really does. I, I can't, cannot champion it enough. 
Right, and moving on to our next movie that we're going to be doing, um, on, you know, next episode. What we got, Paul? What we got? Come on, yeah. give it to me. Well, sh- we are going to go to Shudder for, I don't know if that's the first time this year, but we're going to go to Shudder. I think it might be the first time this year. We were quite successful last year with Shudder. Um, there's a little movie called Lucky, um, that I've seen pop up everywhere. I'm not going to look too much into it. I've just seen the title, seen the poster. Looks good. We're going to go and see that and see what happens. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> But it's got a little bit of, um, I've seen it marketed, has good marketing. So yeah, that's what we're going to watch on Shudder. Boom! Lucky. Right. Fantastic. Let's move on to our Some to Scream About. So, this is a very, very special something to scream about for uh, Paul and myself. Uh, this is this is really, really kind of uh, important an important interview for us. So we were very lucky to um, get in touch with Mr. Andre Gower, uh, aka Sean from the Monster Squad. You, and you got in touch with him. You know, yeah. you did all the hard work. So well done, Matthew. Clap, clap, clap. Well, <laughs> Um, and yeah we got to sit down and have a really good really good chat with him uh what a bloke what a legend uh what an absolute gentleman and here it is i hope you like it we are very very lucky to be joined by the gang leader of the monster squad director writer producer and star of wolfman's got nerds mr andre gower how are you I am uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to hang out for a little bit. No problem. This is a big thing for us. We're huge fans. So, and and it's weird because I feel like I've got to know you through kind of like media, through the movie, through watching the documentary, and I've watched a few YouTube things. It's really weird talking to you now. It's a bit surreal because it's just like I feel like I've just had Andre Gower for the whole week. uh well yeah and then this next you know this next 30 minutes or an hour is either going to help that or totally ruin it i don't know (laughs) let's hope for yeah let's hope for the let's hope for the good one um no it should be fine i mean that happens a lot you know it's uh you know coming out of last year or you know whether you know this whole year has been weird right and we've gotten to do different things and and meet new people that we may not have gotten to meet in a quote-unquote normal year and so i'm totally okay with that you know it's uh it's been certainly different uh and 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 robust we've all been locked down but for different things it's been robust in in certain senses like with you know releasing this documentary in the middle of you know the shutdown world uh, and then having to talk about it constantly or, you know, everybody else is shut down. So everybody wants to jump on Skype or on Zoom and, and talk about Monster Squad or, you know, other things. And so it's been it's it's been very neat to stay connected to people, even though you can't go out and do anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely definitely good times. It's been it's been good for us. I mean, yeah, it's like we, we just want to, to get some of those benefits while they're still there, you know. Um, and if anything good can come out of the lockdown, it's this kind of thing, you know? Sure. Absolutely. So, well, I'm going to start off with a question for you. I want to know about, we're going to start when you were obviously real young. What were your earliest memories of horror? Ooh, good question. Um, 
haven't had it in a while, uh, which uh, it, it's always it's always fun to think back. Honestly, I think probably I always say this and people they, they either laugh or they totally get it. I think my the the scariest horror movie I saw as a young kid was The Wizard of Oz. It's absolutely a horror movie to me. Um, but, you know, in technically the genre, uh, you know, I think probably something like The Exorcist. And also they were obviously reruns, but early episodes of Twilight Zone, which were more kind of sci-fi fan. But there's horror elements in there's absolute horror elements in Twilight Zone, the TV show. But then also growing up as a kid, especially in the States and especially in L.A. And, you know, there was never not a time that I was not in this industry, you know, as I started at such a young age. And so I was always around or interested or exposed to things, um, you know, like films and like film and TV. And I even liked older stuff. And so growing up where I grew up in L.A. in the 70s and 80s. Uh, you know, we had no cable. There was no internet at the time, obviously. So you had your broadcast stations and a few local affiliates. But on Saturdays is where Saturdays and like late Friday nights is where you got the stuff that uh, you didn't know about. And it was uh, cartoons in the morning on Saturday, uh, Kung Fu theater in the afternoon and, uh, you know, old classic movies after that, whether it was a World War II movie or a classic sci-fi movie like Forbidden Planet or something or horror movies. You know, when, when the sun goes down, you know, they start showing those horror movies late at night on your local affiliate stations. And so I think that's where even some of the old classics, like maybe the old Dracula's definitely Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, which is kind of. I guess he's a horror. It's a, it's a monster flick. It's oh, a, it's, yeah. it's a creature yeah. movie. I guess it's, it's in the genre. He's a creature from black lagoon. He's my favorite. Uh, and then I end up getting to do a movie with, you know, a modern adaptation of, of, of that guy, um, which is pretty cool or, or that fish, um, however you want to call him. But yeah, I think earliest, the one that really struck me, my joke is always wizard of Oz, but I think the exorcist is the one that kind of sits in my mind is maybe the earliest. And then, you know, we were such at a, a kind of a, a a tangle of timing where you had, you know, the 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 modern slash, you know, the current slashers come out like Friday the Thirteenth and then Freddy Krueger and Halloween, and Halloween scared the piss out of me uh, as a young kid. Um, and I remember the second one vividly when Donald Pleasant says, "Michael, it's time to die," and they blow themselves up in the because the gas. I'm like, what is happening? Um, but we're really young, you know, to kind of see those when you're eight, nine, 10 years old. Uh, but nowadays, like eight, nine, 10 year olds, they don't, it's nothing to them. Like, it's just like, boop, you know, like seven is the new 10 right now. I think. Yeah. yeah. I do remember seeing the exorcist. I remember the stairwell shot, the box cover. And when Linda Blair's head turned around and she vomited pea soup everywhere, that definitely leaves a, uh, leaves an indelible mark on your young mind. <laughs> <laughs> Totally agree. Yeah, Exodus was one of the um, first ones I got to see as an adult, and it scared the piss out of me as well. And we didn't get to have; we only got to see like that spider leg scene down the that because that was cut from all the original and stuff oh, yeah. over in the UK. UK just like BBFC were just like, no, you're not having that. <laughs> right. So that's quality. And, and that's even interesting. You know, we have the same thing here because whether you see it on network TV or, you know, a syndicated uh, network on Saturday afternoons, like I was mentioning it, you know, movies get chopped up to all bits. 
um, and and you miss a lot until you actually see it the way it, it, it's supposed to be, and and then it changes your it, it can change your whole perspective on a movie. Um, but yeah, genre, you know, especially seventies and eighties, it was a it was it was a whole. That's when everything really kind of started to really pile on because mm-hmm. they were doing creature features, they were doing slashers, they were doing revenge flicks, they were doing you know even space horror. You know, uh, Aliens is a is is a space horror movie. It's not just a sci-fi movie. It is terrifying. And um, I saw that as a young kid, too, you know, uh, and or Alien and then Aliens. And and they all fit into that category. But we had so much to kind of absorb, you know, at the time. We as a podcast, we ram anything into the horror genre we can. So when you've got like sci-fi horror, especially like when you've got like the likes of Event Horizon, the fly, you know, that sort of cro- yeah. those crossover um, genre movies are fucking some of the a- absolute best. Even the early days with like, I don't know, them, um, Tackle a 50 oh. Foot Woman, all those sorts of things. <laughs> oh, all, the, all those, cl- those are the classics that I'm talking about on Saturday afternoons. Those are fabulous. And that's where you see the creature, you know, the obvious, you know, big ones. But then you, you know, them, um, uh, Attack of the 50 Foot Woman. One of my favorites as a kid is uh, Night of the Lupus, which is about Night Attack of the Rabbits, right? It's all these radiated yeah. rabbits. And it's so poorly done because these people are running in front of this <laughs> giant screen going, ah! And really all it is is a bunch of all these little cottontail rabbits in a kennel that the camera's so close. Just, it just doesn't work, but it's it's fabulous. And so I love stuff like that. Um so you have sort of that kind of that spectrum of like you were talking about, you know, uh, let's talk about them. You know, it's 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 a it's a Cold War. It's an atomic age horror story. Right. Uh, but then I, I was exposed to a movie that uh, that that definitely affected me as as a, as a kid that I probably shouldn't have seen the original I Spit on Your Grave, which is that a horror movie or is that just. A, a human condition revenge movie. Uh, it's it's in the horror genre, but that movie was very brutal, and I saw that at a very young age. Um, even though I knew how movies were made, you know, that's that's still a, a gut punch of a movie. Yeah, those exploitation oh. movies are sometimes are like really really hard to watch. Like it Last really, House on the Left, and stuff. It like really it. was. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you're like, I'd like to see this movie. Like, I spit on your grave, but I think I'm gonna watch them. <laughs> you know? Yeah, we 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 like the fun ones, but like we have done a couple of like we did Slumber Party Massacre the other week, and oh yeah, and that was so much fun. But again, it we was like thinking it was a more, like a old eighty slasher movie, but it was more like an exploitation movie, and like at its. Uh, at its core, it's crazy. It, it is, and 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 I think horror just jumped on sort of what was going on in a lot of uh, mainstream pop culture movies, because uh, you could have very easily made a bunch of these cheesy '80s coming of age movies uh, that we saw, you know, like Meatballs or Summer, you know, like just think Meatballs or Zapped or something. You could have made those horror movies just as easy as you made, you know, lame pop culture, you know, poppy bubblegum movies. Uh, and all you need to do is kill a couple people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was just a, just kind of like this proliferation of everything, you know, early, uh, late seventies, early eighties. And then just, it just took off because it got wildly popular. It, it was no longer that fringe weird kid, you know, watching these kind of, uh, you know, either exploitation films of the seventies that were kind of B movie grindhouse type stuff 
or the 50s kind of lame science fiction scary things. It got brutal. It got dark. They started adapting more literature. People started writing more literature to be adapted. Uh, and then, you know, that damn guy, Stephen King, started writing stuff <laughs> left and right. And people started making movies like Cujo. And nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Still going. Still going. Still grew going. Up on, grew up on it and Stand By Me and stuff. Like that. that was that was mine. Um, well, yeah, those, we- are, those are the best. We go on to like uh, Monster Squad. How 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 did you um, get cast as the lead in the Monster Squad? How did that? Happen? You know, it, it's it's actually uh, that side of the interesting story that I've realized over the last couple of years is even more interesting because uh, I've told it for years. But you know, this was 1986, uh, late summer. Uh, you know, they just regular casting. You know, the studios making this movie, and you get the call to go audition for you know, a film. And, you know, back in that day, you know, that was happening multiple times a day, you know, every day for the week. But what's interesting about myself and Monster Squad is I never auditioned or screen test or read a line of Sean Crenshaw. I auditioned for the role of Rudy and went all the way, you know, to the, to, to callbacks and screen test and had, you know, meetings all the way that I just thought I was only ever going to read for Rudy and a couple of weeks later, uh, you know, we got a call, you know, to my agent at the time and said, hey, that movie that you read for a couple of weeks ago, they cast you in it. You got it. So ding, ding, congratulations. Except uh, they you didn't get cast in the role that you read for. And usually in this business, that's a that's a bad thing because it's usually they give you a lesser role or, uh, you know, something very small. And I was very disappointed because <laughs> I knew what that usually meant. But they said, no, 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 they actually cast you as the lead. (laughs) And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) And I was like, no, (laughs) Rudy's the cool character with the good hair and he gets to kill more monsters and he gets the girl at the end. No, this is the cool character. I don't want to be the dorky leader. And um, but you know what? I know, you know, over the years, I, I know exactly why I wasn't, could I have played Rudy? Sure. It would have been a different take on it. It would have been a little bit more laid back kind of, um, you know, I, I might've added a little too much camp into it at the time, but I, I could have pulled, I could have pulled it off. Uh, but I know that Ryan Lambert walked into his audition process and murdered that audition and became Rudy in that moment. And that's a testament to him. And that is a testament to the casting director and Fred and Shane and the producers of being in that room going, that's Rudy. Now, what I have learned ever since the day I got the call from the agent and 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 was told I was cast as the lead instead of the role I read for, I have now realized over you know the last few years that it you know obviously everything worked out exactly the way it should work out. Like everybody's in the in the exact right spots, but what. I've come to to realize even deeper now is that I'm extremely fortunate because I never did audition for Sean that somebody in that room during those times when they were deciding on who of all of the dozens and dozens of kids, they did audition for Sean and look, everybody in town read for all these roles. Like we all read for the same stuff. Right. Mm. And they read everybody you can think of for Sean Crenshaw. I never auditioned for that role. I only read it as Rudy, dressed like Rudy, acted like what I thought Rudy would be, and I remember the audition scenes. Uh, But somebody in that room said, hey, we're still trying to figure out who the lead's going to be. 
what about that kid that read for Rudy that we didn't cast as Rudy? If we take the stuff out of his hair and give him a bad haircut and take the leather jacket off, could he be Sean? And I still don't know who I, I don't know who that was. But I do I do now understand and realize how fortunate I was that someone did think of that mm-hmm. at that time. Because they could have just decided on someone that they actually auditioned uh, for that role specifically. And it ended up they didn't. And they just gave me the role because they saw something in my Rudy auditions or other body of work and had that kind of vision or foresight to say, let's cut his hair. Let's take the jacket off and make him Sean. Will that work? And boy, lucky enough to me, I, I, I hope it did because someone had that idea at the time. Bloody worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Think, Thank God they think, did. Can yeah. think that way. <laughs> yeah, who who knows? <laughs> I, I wouldn't have been able you know, I wouldn't have done Monster Squad at all. So it's uh I, I love I love telling that story and I, I love thinking about sort of that process of yeah. just how things work out in the world. Uh, you know, it's not just about uh, that happens in other things too, and you gotta think back sometimes and look at how things come to pass and uh, you know, kind of appreciate it every once in a while. So be, being so young and filming Monster Squad, how was it like day to day on set? Because obviously you were all very young. How how was it being on set? You know, it was, first of all, it was uh, up at that time, kind of the, I had worked a ton, done a few features, uh, done a lot of television leading up to that time. This was obviously the largest and biggest thing that I had, had done to date. So I knew it was a big endeavor. I also knew being the lead of the movie, I had some sort of responsibility uh, you know, to to carry that through because it's it's a hard thing to do for three months straight. You know, you've you've got to know where you are in the story because you don't shoot in sequence. You've got to you know understand how to convey where you are in the story on screen. You've got to build your character, uh, you know, and and try to carry the story with you. And it's a lot of work. I mean, a lot of people think making a movie is just a bunch of fun and 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 hanging out and seeing a bunch of cool stuff and wolfmen blowing up in the middle of of the sky. Uh, and yes, that all happens, but there's very little time for fun and games. There's no goofing off because you're dealing with kids. You know, there's so many rules and regulations with kids. You can only be on set for so many hours and there's no time to waste. So you've got to show up every day, not just myself, but everybody else, um, you know, from Ryan being the oldest all the way to Ashley and Michael being the youngest. And you've got to show up and, and literally hit your marks and make your day and be a professional. And, we did. I, I think we did, you know, to the best of our abilities. Um, and then in in the in the small down times of the day, you know, we we got to grow and 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 hang out with each other and bond and and goof off a little bit when we were not on set. And, you know, when we're not in our schoolroom doing our schoolwork uh, and we and we and we became friends and you get to hang out. But it, it's not it's not a party. It's a lot. It's a lot of work to make a, a major motion picture, and uh, there's no there's no goofing off allowed. You can have some fun, but you know if you goof off, then you're wasting time, and time is money. So people yeah. start yelling at you if you do that. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> but look, you know, day to day, there was it, it's every kid's dream to be part of uh, one uh, an action, you know, an adventure movie such as this, and it's every kid's dream to be in a monster movie, you know, with 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 explosions and stunts and monsters and creature effects and you get to chase in a car and you get to ride your bike and you know stuff's blowing up and you know you're you're chasing monsters and killing monsters and and, and getting chased it's uh, uh look it, it was it was certainly an amazing experience how did you handle the uh, physicality of it 
because obviously that I expect well, especially the end, the end sequence and stuff. There's a lot of like um, stunts and stuff like that you had to do. Uh, there is I, that stuff I love and eat up because I've always been athletic. I've always been acrobatic. I've always been, you know, physical and coordinated. Uh, some people aren't. That's just, you know, and that's fine. I always have been. I've always enjoyed it and always been able to do that. Um, the, you know, you, you did a couple of your own physicality, you did some of your own stunts. Um, th- there was one big stunt rig that we actually did and shot that is not in the movie that I always, you know, get annoyed at because I was up on kind of a harness rig and flying through the air, getting sucked in the limbo when, you know, the, the rest of the squad is actually making a human chain and grabbing onto me, uh, to, you know, to save Sean from going in with Dracula. Uh, so we shot that scene and I'm up, you know, I'm three or four feet off the air and the wind's blowing and I'm flying and, uh, you know, they're, they're holding onto me and it, that didn't make it into the final cut. I don't know why. Um, maybe it didn't look good or, you know, the effects, you know, didn't, didn't happen as well as it needed to be. But, uh, I made sure we, I put that B roll in, in the documentary. So that was, so everybody saw my stunt. That was the one selfish thing I did in, in Wolfman. <laughs> hey. Uh, but, uh, I, I love the behind the scenes stuff and that we, that we have in Wolfman of the stuff shot while we were shooting. Cause no one's ever seen that before, but yeah, you know, that last sequence, that was about a week or more than a week of shooting at night on Warner Brothers, um, you know, main Main Street Square, and it's all effects. It's the wind machines. It's the monsters blowing up, and yeah, those were long nights, and you're getting hit in the in the head and the face with, you know, fake styrofoam bricks and stop signs and tree branches, and leaves. There's so many leaves. Oh, I love you know, that they, as well. On the documentary, you see the help coming, and they've got massive goggles protecting their eyes, and I was thinking. <laughs> Shit, the kids are just going to get pounded with shit. Oh, and and <laughs> we did. I mean, they're just throwing dry leaves and styrofoam bricks in front of those big airplane engines, and it's just shooting at you like a cannon. Uh, it was it was definitely something to um, even if you're just standing there, and that that's something physical. Uh, and you you're tired at the end of each night of that. <laughs> well, it, it looked totally fun to shoot. What would you say? Would you say the kind of like your favorite memories of of that kind of experience? Of that last sequence, I would, uh, you know, I would probably say, uh, obviously my stunt up in the rigging that didn't make it in the film uh, is probably number one. But, you know, close behind that is probably uh, uh, calling Wolfman asshole and then hitting him in the head with a bat. Um, and then he gets pushed out the window and blows up. So, that you know, that's that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> that's, that's a great scene. Matt's room is like full of like loads of cool stuff. That's where we usually shoot the podcast. Uh huh. In normal time so we get to have this lovely room oh yeah don't show off your, I, your stuff i love the uk box cover with the thing and it's supposed to be the amulet and the hand and the red box i've always liked that i've always liked that it was signed by fred decker as well oh where 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 did you get fred to sign that at uh, that was a horror con yeah uh, about two years ago there's a big horror con in the uk which one came over uh what was it called? Uh, for the love of horror yeah for love of horror uh, where and that's is that the one Manchester. in Manchester? Manchester, yeah. In Manchester, uh, I'm t- uh, Ryan Lambert and I are tentatively going next year. Yes. <laughs> oh, well, we're not going. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> we fucking are. Yeah. It would so uh, yeah, ho- hopefully that works out. Um, so yeah, they've been. Um, I, oh, I, they, I they, chat with those guys. So hopefully, hopefully that works. They are brilliant. They are good guys. They'll take care of you. From Montague, because obviously we love. We love shit. We love getting merch and stuff like that. So did you get to keep anything for set? We know, obviously, with the documentary, Stephen King Rules, we've seen the, the T-shirt. But is there anything else you get to, you got to keep? Yeah, there's actually a few things. Um, 
obviously, you know, I had uh, not only the Stephen King rules shirt that I wore on camera, uh, but uh, I had my entire wardrobe. I have the, oh, the wow. jacket and the yellow shirt and the jeans and the shoes, uh, even the even the rugby shirt that I wear in like one scene um, that looks like a dress. Um, it's so long on me. Um, <laughs> I, I I got I got to keep those because usually there's multiples of wardrobe and those along with the Stephen King rule shirt was the first time that all of that came out of, uh, you know, a, a box in the garage for 30 years. And I thought, you know, the best time that Stephen King rule shirt could come out was to actually show people while we're making the doc and get their reaction to the actual shirt. And uh, we did that, you know, the whole run. And. Uh, my guy Wes Caldwell, who was one of my key, uh, you know, production mates on making the documentary, I came into the office one day and he was like, "Hey man, I, I actually made something." And I was like, "What did you make?" He's like, "Well, I don't know if you're gonna like it." I was like, "Well, just show it to me." And he showed me that little clip of that he that little supercut that he put together of you know us bringing out the shirt to everybody, and the spit takes and the and the jokes about how small it was and all this. And I honestly, I'm standing there with Henry, who is the main guy, you know, making the documentary. And I go, Wes, this is my favorite thing that we've made in the doc. What do you mean? Am I not going to like it? And he's and Henry's like, hey, wait a minute. I'm just I'm cutting the entire movie. None of that works. I'm like, no, this is genius. This is exactly what we wanted. The only problem is where are we going to use it? And then we decided on, you know, kind of like a, a, a tease at the end as sort of a celebration wrap up, you know, during, wow. while the credits are going. And I think it works perfect. So kudos to Wes on that one but not only the Stephen King shirt and my and my wardrobe uh which we actually uh I put on display twice uh two different times we basically rebuilt the treehouse uh with actually the poster art and some of the figurines and and printed out and we did it once at the Alamo Draft House in Texas during Fantastic Fest uh even so much we built uh Allison Murphy who um uh, Jason Murphy is her husband. He's an author, and I love one of his stories. I'm trying to make one of his books into a movie. Uh, and then she worked with – she actually built the walls and the treehouse in this weird space and built a fake tree. We even put a window in there, and we put a, a, a monitor back there with Lisa Fuller about to take a robe off so people could go and interact and sit in Rudy's alcove and look through the window. And and then we had this whole kind of display thing where uh, we had the amulet and we had my wardrobe on a mannequin, Duncan Regeer's cape on a mannequin, and a bunch of production, you know, kind of stuff. So that was a really neat thing. It was about three and a half minutes of the documentary, and at the uh, near the very end, um, we we cut that scene and made it a special feature. Uh-huh. And so on the hopefully on the international release, which don't forget to ask me about that because I'm going to continue answering your 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 souvenir question. Oh, your keepsake question um, that that you can see that scene. Um, but I also kept uh, I was at, at the time I was young and really into uh, archery. And uh, so Ryan would come over to my house and learn how to shoot bows. And uh, during the production at the end, I actually kept Rudy's bow. So I have Rudy's bow and I had it for decades. And then somewhere like 2012 or something i uh i brought it to a screening in san francisco where ryan was living and and said i don't know why this isn't a box in my garage this is rudy's bow you should have it here it is and the crowd went crazy and they all got to take a picture with rudy and rudy's bow for the first time and so it was a neat thing and then he proceeded to leave it at my friend's house for a year uh and never took it home (laughs) and so i got it back 
or actually my friend moved to Montana and took it with him. And so I had to track it down and we got it to, to do on display during the dock and everything. But what we ended up doing last year uh, or yeah, last year, Ryan and I took the bow over to our friend Ciro Nielli's house, who is in the documentary. He's the animator. He made Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the TV show. And he's the one in his garage that has all the, the, the posters of figure. And they're all a bunch of artists. He has a new house now. Uh, and he has this huge collectible room. But we brought the bow over and said, this doesn't need to be in a box. This needs to be on display somewhere that someone's going to appreciate it. Do you want to put it in your collectibles room? And he said, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's up on his wall with a plaque on it right now on loan from Ryan and myself. So nice. uh, it, it, it's, it's getting love somewhere. It's not sitting in a box collecting dust. But uh, those are the cool things that I kept along with some production stuff and you know, like my original script and some, you know, uh, some EPK and some marketing materials and all that. But from the movie, my wardrobe, Rudy's bow, and of course the Stephen King rule shirt is kind of the, the, the highlight. Nice. The, look, the looks on their faces when you bring that out. It's just it, like, it's pure. It, it's kind joy. of, it is right. It's kind of mind blowing. And that's what I wanted. And what Wes was saying he was making fun of is every interview that I brought it out. I said the exact same thing to them, which of course, if, they're only getting interviewed once. They only hear it once, but my crew heard it like 30 times <laughs> and like, oh, here's the action and the action. So they were making fun of me duplicating kind of that scenario and kind of hamming it up a little bit. But what I was trying to do, I was trying to set up the same reaction from everybody mm-hmm. by saying the same thing and surprising them with it. And I, I, I think it worked and it's, it's oh. a great bit. I love it. Yeah, man. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. To, yeah, to see the just the absolute surprise and joy and awe over a shirt. <laughs> no, I mean, so, some people just don't get it, but it, it's not just a shirt. It's right. the shirt. And it's, it's just like, right. some people just probably like, you know, oh, yeah, it's a T-shirt. But this to fans and people that, you know, it's, it's like the Holy Grail. It's like, and that's what's interesting what about Monster Squad is something like that shirt has become a piece of iconography. Yeah that you would never expect and was never meant to be, but it certainly has to where, so everybody recreates or makes their own, which is what I like, you know, even if a, a, even if a brand puts one out or something, that's fine. Or a vendor makes one, but when people are making their own, that's the best. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't matter if it's the same color, you know, and then it's now transcended itself into other people's rule. You know, it's like, there's other people that they put on the shirt and, you know, so I was like, that's okay. This thing is growing and evolving way beyond anything anybody could have imagined and that's what's interesting and special when they see the actual shirt it just blows their mind and uh, it, it very rarely comes out of the it very rarely comes out of the plastic sleeve in the box that it's in. it doesn't travel it doesn't travel anywhere no, uh, there's obviously some kick-ass monsters in monster squad i've got to ask you which is your favorite if you can name one you know, I, it's, uh, I, I changed, they were all fantastic. And to watch them, you know, we, we just really saw the finished product. But then it's great to do something like the documentary and, and go back with the guys and, and get archive footage of them creating it and building it and getting those stories. So we really only saw the finished product and they were all amazing. Obviously, the the Gilman, you know, which is which is a new way to build a suit. It was a one piece latex that that Tom Woodruff actually gets in and gets literally glued in and can't get out uh you know changed the game it absolutely changed the game in 1986 uh and and set 
they still make suits like that, you know, today, just, you know, in, 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 in sort of the same vein that Matt Rose and Steve Wang invented on the fly, you know, at the time. <laughs> but the Wolfman was incredible. It was a, you know, it was a bodysuit. It was the hand and it was the, the hell is a, you know, it was a, it's a football helmet with the gear. And, you know, back then it was all, you know, instead of digital effects, that's all the wire work to make his eyes and mouth move and his nose crinkle and to watch those guys operate that. And then to think back and go, how did you build this? This is insane. <laughs> uh, and, and now you just do it on a computer. <laughs> uh, but that's what I really like the fact that I saw that actually happen. You know, it's a re- remote control and, you know, wire work and it's just fascinating. But mm. you know what? I've always, always given credit to the mummy build because that's actually a really good mummy build. And I give Shane Mahan credit for that because uh, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful creature, uh, you know, wrap, you know, hand wrapped in a bodysuit and then wrapped with muslin and uh, linen and, you know, tweaked to make it look old. And, you know, it was sort of like a half face mask that Michael mm. McKay had to wear and then a helmet piece. And he was so small. And I thought it was just a, a I thought it was just a, a fantastic piece to see, you know, up close. And uh, well, we got one final question on, on Monster Squad and then we're going to talk about the documentary if we can. Um, but we want to know what you think Sean would be doing now. <sighs> you know, it's, it's funny, you know, people <laughs> ask and they always, we always want to know. I think Sean probably. Um, Single. <laughs> but may, maybe. Maybe because I think I think he followed in his dad's footsteps and did some sort of law enforcement or something um, or solving problems, being an investigator of some way. And then maybe. Yeah. And then maybe on the side, he helps people with like, you know, he's like, hey, there, you know, there are stuff that happened in the world. Maybe I can help you out with that. Or, you know, I don't think I don't think any of these characters took advantage of their story or situation. I don't think anybody wrote a book, uh, you know, or had a TV show about it. Um, I, I think. I think Sean probably understood, you know, about um, protecting people and, uh, you know, keeping the peace maybe and and trying to right wrongs or, you know, help the people that can't help themselves. I think that's sort of his, you know, his kind of uh, character there. And I think he grew up to be a cop or a law enforcement or, you know, a a fed or something like that. I think, you know, just with this other knowledge that no one else that he could ever work with will ever have. And, um, you know, based on his experiences. And um, I I, I like to think that's what happened to Sean Crenshaw. I respect that. Congratulations on Wolfman Scott Nard's amazing piece of work. Absolutely amazing. Um, I just want to start off with what made you want to make this and how did, how did it even all start? What, you know, where did it come from? I mean, look, honestly, it was, um, it, it was, we never would have had this without the Monster Squad resurgence that started in 06, 07, right? Um, and then we never would have had the appearances and the conventions and, and you know, that, that this resurgence created the opportunities for. We honestly thought that, oh, it's a 20th anniversary. This will last maybe a year. Let's go to some conventions. Like, we're not going to get this opportunity again. And we thought it would kind of fizzle out. <laughs> it did not fizzle out. Uh, it has only kept going and growing uh, ever since 2007, which is fascinating to me. But, you know, for those first couple of years, uh, you didn't you didn't really notice what was actually happening. You notice these fans were coming because they never had access to you. Um, you know, social media is new. Internet's, you know, fairly, you know, accessible. And, 
you know, they're, they're relaying these stories of what, you know, this is their favorite movie of all time. And that's basically all you hear. Um, and uh, that, that's what you hear. And that's really all you intake is like, oh, this is a, this is quite a few people's favorite movie. That's really cool. But then as it kept going and going, you realize that this movie actually connected and impacted with a lot of people in a very, very deep way and in a much different and more unique way than I am seeing at other conventions or appearances with other actors or other movie titles. Look, we're all fans of awesome movies that we love and, and love to meet the people that are. I go to conventions and take pictures with people that I <laughs> want to meet or don't know if I've never met them before. I mean, look, I'm a movie fan, too. And there's movies that I'm super connected to. Some are old, some are new, some are from my youth, some are from last year. But I've I've still yet to see that visceral connection and that emotional connection that kids that saw Monster Squad felt. And then they started relaying those stories to me. And at the beginning, like I said, you keep hearing that and you think it's all the same. But then you realize that these stories are very personal and very interesting and very unique, even though they're kind of saying the same thing. These are very personal stories of how this movie impacted them, what it meant to them and how it stayed with them for 20, 25, 30 years. And then I realized back in 2016 ish, 2007, I I realized that their stories were a story. And that's what a documentary should be. The only reason we get to be celebrated and go to conventions or go to screenings or go to film festivals and celebrated as the cast of Monster Squad is because fans like you guys have kept it alive for 30 years or 25 years at the time or whatever it was. It's the only reason we're talking about it is because of you guys mm-hmm. and the fans that 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 connected to it with their guts, kept it in their hearts and their heads and, and celebrated when they had the chance. And I thought we hadn't seen that yet. I thought we hadn't seen that documentary or that story element about fandom in that way of the people that usually get the celebration to try to turn that focus around on the people that should be getting a little bit of attention of why we all get to make appearances or have jobs. And then that led into more of telling the story of how deep this impact was with this particular movie and these human beings. And then we wanted to broaden it out into showing how something like a movie it could be Monster Squad, it could be something else, can actually impact and affect someone as a person or as a human being or affect their life or affect what they do as their job or their career or what they do as their hobbies. Um, and how something like that can stay with them all the way through adulthood and even now go into the second generation and they bring that same uh, enthusiasm to their own kids and they become fans. And so we wanted to tap, I, I knew that their stories were a story and then it grew from there. I mean, yeah, you pretty much answered some of the questions here. But like, when I watched it this afternoon, I, I, I welled up. I had a pro- proper like, there was. I was sitting here at my desk trying to do work and watching this, and that I was Horace when I was a kid, and uh, you know, I still was up till probably a couple of years ago, and that, that's why I think like every every time I got home from school, the VHS the VHS tape that we recorded off the TV would go on as soon as we got from school. Me and my brother would watch it, and we, you know, we play those, we play the games, we play Monster Squad outside the front of our house. That was our our sort of thing. It just resonated so much. And then me, when me and Matt started talking about it, and I've got an old beat up. I mean, we, we we know the struggle of getting a copy of this movie was 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 what it was. But I've got an old beat up, probably downloaded. Uh, I don't know, Betamax on a dvd thing and we watched it and we oh my god this this does not you know um age well 
you know and and then we got to watch it again when it came out on amazon prime and we're like oh my god this is fucking great and it's just like it just means so much i mean i can't believe i yeah i didn't think it did until Mm. as much as it did until i watched the documentary and was and was just like nearly in tears just like watching it it's just that it's so well made it, honestly literally it, it, re- re- this is one of the reasons and like you say how it pulls people in different directions that movie is one of the reasons why we started this podcast and we're like 73 episodes in and because me and paul related through horror therefore we found we had the love for the monster squad and we we're like this is why this episode means so much because it brought us together to, to make this thing. And it has so, like you said, it touches so many different people's lives so differently over this one movie that you watch when you're a kid. And it's just magical. It's just absolutely magical. And those and, ones, those ones are the best, like your era of movie, like short circuit, flat, the navigator, the explorers, <coughs> Goonies. Um, I, I don't <laughs> confess, right? I didn't watch the Goonies until I was 25. <laughs> okay, I, I never watched it as a kid. Monster Squad was my kid movie. I didn't. Right. Matt Matt was Matt's big Goonies fan. He watched it as a kid, but I Monster Squad was I, my jam. I just never I never bothered with Goonies. I had the Monster Squad, <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay. But uh, you know, and and your your two stories of how it impacted you are exactly what you know we were trying to convey in Wolfman's Got Nards about what this phenomenon's about you know why are we still talking about this movie that that no one ever should have brought back from the dead uh because it should have just been forgotten but you guys wouldn't let it you started a podcast it was one of the things this and this is what i was realizing over the you know a couple years that stuff like that was happening and i thought that was interesting one thing that i made sure and hopefully it worked out that but very from the beginning of what the documentary is not it's not a making of doc. It's not a where are they now doc. And it's not the straight here. Let's show you some stuff you've never seen kind of nostalgia spoonful and then exit. You have a little of that because you, you have to show a little of it. And we got some great BTS stuff. But like you were talking about the the connection and the, and the impact of it, of seeing people represented on screen that you can connect with and realize like their story. Like I feel the same way. Look, we we can't have everybody in the world that's a Bachelor fan in the documentary. You would still be playing, you know, after two, you know, after a couple of years, it'd be the longest movie ever, uh, which is fascinating. So we 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 tried to make sure that the stories that we included, you know, kind of represented just just about as much many people as we can. But what's also interesting, and a, and a lot of documentaries don't do it, is Sands. Christina Klebe, uh, Zach Galligan, and Chuck Russell and Heather Langenkamp, because those are great faces to have and something to explain fandom and genre and uh, you know legacy, because they're all great names and faces. No one else that's on camera or says something does not have a direct impact of or involvement in the Monster Squad. And even people that were cast and crew of Monster Squad we're still impacted by this movie just in a different way than say a fan was. And that was very important. Even when our, even when our cast and our crew is on camera in the documentary, it's not just about, I did this and I did that. It's how did this experience of making this movie and it's resulting box office failure and now resurgent, how did that impact you? And that's what was 
that's all of our interviews were keyed off of that premise because like literally when i watched it like the documentary i think my heart grew two sizes i was just like wow it's just like amazing well that you know that's that's a lot of the you know kind of work and effort and what we were capturing was all organic and natural stuff so it worked but you know that's a lot of you know kudos and and credit goes to henry mccamas uh you know who is sort of kind of the main driving force on the production side and editing side and shooting side along with wes caldwell and uh you know we, we had a very small footprint of human beings that were, made this movie and it's really henry wes aaron and shane a camera guy named Esteban who was on the road with us, you know, who was awesome that you see a little bit in a, in a giggly shot there. Uh, and that's about it. So there's about four or five of us that really made this movie. And most of it is Henry. And, uh, and then, and then some major parts are Wes and, and, and Aaron. And, and I think that shows um, it, it's not spread around and everybody kind of has to do it. Everybody is this really kind of cool core group of people that had their hands on making this movie. And Henry was very protective of what he wanted to make out of it, what he saw that he was pulling out of it. Cause I wasn't there every day when he was, when he was cutting different scenes or putting story bits together. And it, we would constantly talk and we had a framework from the beginning, but you know, when you make something like a documentary, even in a very, very short amount of time, like we did, uh, it changes constantly. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden you get a new interview that replaces three other interviews and that they've got to go because you're not only your story changed, but it could be totally better. And that's something you've got to get used to while you're doing an endeavor like this. Uh, and then, you know, we had to be prepared for something like not having Fred Decker's interview because that almost never happened. And luckily it did because that became one of the most important constants throughout the entire story. Mm -hmm. Because his interview is sort of the anti-interview, right? Yeah. It's uh, and and that yeah, and that lives a, a, a very yeah. big, and he, he he's just one person, but his story and connection and in how he's impacted with this movie has so much gravity that it balances out the other hundred percent, and it and really is a, an interesting counterbalance to the rest of the kind of you know, what looked like a, you know, a back, you know, patting on the back or, a, you know, a self congratulation type of, you know, victory lap, which some people have called the documentary that um, I, I, we tried to avoid that. Um, and I, and I think Fred's story is so unique and individual and, and needed to be seen. And that was one of the last interviews that we got. And he, he, he was comfortable enough with what we were doing to sit down and, and open up and, and truthfully tell what he thought. I think you could show it to anyone who hasn't even seen Monster Squad on and for them to understand what like a you know what a cult movie and it can do over the course of like nearly you know we're coming on to 35 years and stuff like that it's just I think it's a real really important and I think in one of the interviews that you did with um the, the chap for the professor I guess he was a professor um mm -hmm. who did the film the film studies class and like to put the Monster Squad and then you start thinking you, I'm like yeah, we're grown up now and you can sort of analyse these movies differently as when you were as a kid. And you can see all these like, you know, these different plot points, which were just so important. And the 80s did it so well with consumerism. You know, we see it in Chopping Mall, you see it in Dawn of the Dead and all that. And they do, they resonate the time. They put a timestamp on it. And I think that was really, for me, was one of the, the most important bits really to see it. Yeah, this film could be in a film studies class. Damn right. <laughs> it, 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 and for more reasons than one i mean it could yeah. be in a it could be in a story development class it could be in a script writing class it 
it it could be in a special effects class for no doubt and it damn sure could be in a photography class and a cinematography class because Bradford may, I mean, there's so much great camera work in this movie that you don't realize is great camera work uh-huh. until you just look at it from that lens. And it, it's fascinating. And, but, you know, coming up, uh, the professor, uh, his name's Mike Dillon. Uh, you know, when we, we actually open up the movie, we open up the documentary in a film class of a bunch of college. We, we open up a documentary basically about a movie that's 30 years old. And everybody's expecting, like, we're just going to celebrate this movie of Ya Ra 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 Monster Squad. And we open it up with a room full of people that have never seen it or heard about it. And then they, and then we instantly go into the things that don't age well. And, you know, some of like the dialogue and the, and the situations with characters that are problematic now. And that's what we open up our congratulatory documentary. <laughs> Um, so we knew we had to. We we knew that that was going to happen, and we wanted to address it, and needed to do, it and should be. Uh, and we just said, let's do it right. Let's just open it up with that, because it's the new. It's a it's a young. Gen, it's a new generation of people, of college kids that have never seen something that are in a film studies curriculum, and their professor is showing them something that's thirty years old, uh, which you should. But he's not showing the classics or the Oscar winners from 1987 or the golden globe nominees from it. He's showing the monster squad <laughs> and he doesn't care. He says, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. It's brilliant. Especially where you get and put the hands up and like, who's yeah, seen it's this? the whole room. They, yeah. it's the whole, that's the whole room. It's, it's and, so funny. and that, you know, it's interesting because my, you know, I, uh, Mike's a friend of mine now and I've, I've known him for a number of years and uh, he would invite me or me and Ryan every semester because he shows it at the same time every semester for the awesome. same class. And it's always, you know, it's different kids, obviously, because it's a new year. Uh, but I went three or four years in a row and was the guest speaker in his class. And then, you know, in that third or fourth year, I was like, can we shoot? We're, we're doing that. Can we bring it? Can we? And, and it just worked out great because that showed such a great element of impact later that now this movie is a, is is being exposed and 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 affecting other people, not mm-hmm. just the kids of Monster Squad fans because usually that's how you get your second generation of fans. Uh, but we have a little side kind of you know tangent there where people are showing it in college classes. So. We're going to wrap up now, but I want to know what's next for you. What What is next? Because, like, obviously we've got the 35th anniversary coming up, right? Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> and, and and boy, I can tell my back and, you know, I'm getting old. Um, look, what's next? Like, right now, you know, it's been very interesting because we, we film festival Wolfman in 2018, which was technically a long time ago. And we thought short and we had a fantastic festival run. It was like six and a half months. It went, you know, multiple countries. Uh, it was, you know, we went to Fright Fest in London. Uh, it was in Dublin. Uh, it was at Citrus in Spain. Uh, it was in Austria. It was insane. And and then a bunch of places in Canada and all over the U.S. and Australia. And we thought this movie would get released immediately after our film festival run. And for one of a couple different reasons, that didn't happen. And we had a very long kind of uh, gap. And then we had a worldwide distribution deal that we were ready to sign. And uh, we agreed to that. And seven months later, after we started that process, after a six or seven month gap, uh, that deal ended up not happening. So we had to start from scratch, which happened to be a year ago, like right now. We had to start from scratch in the middle of a new pandemic that no one knew what was going to go on. 
and 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 literally start from scratch. And so we we ended up uh, you know getting a deal with uh, a company called Gravitas Ventures. Uh, and to put out in U.S. and Canada, and so that the documentary finally released on VOD and um, Blu-ray in October, just in the U.S. and Canada, but no international release. And so all of our awesome UK fans are like, "Yo, wh- hey, what about us?" And I was like, oh, "Man, that's the next phase. Uh, you know, it, it it's it's not up to me, but it's like we're working on it. Like, hang in there, hang in there, please, because they've been waiting for two or three years to finally get this movie." <laughs> And uh, I can actually, this is the second time that I, and it hits you guys better, but uh, we just signed an international sales agreement with a company called Raven Banner, which puts out great titles and uh, knows the international market very well. And they, um, this was just two weeks ago. So they are now working on the international release of Wolfman's Got Nards. And hopefully the UK will be one of the first places that it, it, it zaps to. Uh, so they're working on some cool stuff and we're waiting for the, uh, you know, kind of results of being at European film market and, uh, uh, Berlin all, uh, of last, uh, last week. So they got to talk about it there, and then now they're you know on the phones and emails and shooting the shooting the screener out to all of their dis- distribution contacts around the world. Uh, and I know, look, our UK fans have been champing at the bit to get it. Uh, I almost think they're they are more fervent than our US fans because <laughs> they're like, "Wait, give it to me, man, give it to me." Because uh, if they got to see it at Fright Fest in London or they got to see it at uh, Celluloid Screams in Sheffield, which I actually went to. Henry and I got to go to that. That was awesome. Uh, so support both of those film festivals when the world starts turning in and we can go to those uh, or, you know, support them virtually because, you know, it, it's hard to uh, just delete your event. Uh, and hopefully next year, you know, we can all go back and, and, and go to these awesome film festivals. So I'm really grateful for those you know, those guys uh, and crew that run run those because that launches the platform for your fans to get a little taste of it and want it. It's just been delayed a little bit uh, for circumstances beyond my control. And but it's soon. So hopefully soon, hopefully like really soon in the next couple of weeks, you know, I'll, you know, you'll guys, you know, stay tuned on the Twitter or the Instagram and you'll see announcements of specific uh, markets. And hopefully the UK just, you know, at least gets it, you know, at least has access to it. Yeah. But I'm really hoping for, you know, something like a, a really cool release and, 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 and just getting it out to the fans so they can they can at least consume it and and, and enjoy it. That's fantastic. So that's what I've been working. You ask what's next. That's I've been really been focused on getting the the domestic release out in October and then working on this international release, which now was happening. So I'm sort of just tagging along for that ride now, but I actually had to jump in and be instrumental in creating that kind of uh, uh, Raven banner kind of relationship and making that happen um, instead of relying on other third parties that you normally do. Um, And we, we just said, Hey, we, we got to take care of this on our own and get with some cool people that, that are just enthusiastic about getting the doc out. So that's happening. I've also got other projects that are mine that my company works on that, you know, you're always talking about or pitching. Uh, but Henry McComas, uh, who made the doc with me, um, we are currently working on his first narrative feature that he wrote and is slated to direct. And I'm a producer on it. So I'm just trying to, uh, you know, do what I can to get that deal developed and get that production off the ground. So we can get Henry, his first kind of directing gig, um, with a, with a really cool project, 
and and we have you know some some friends attached to it uh, that we'd like to be in the cast and as the lead. We're just working on the the financing deal and when we can go into production on that because COVID you know kind of shut everything down for a while everywhere, mm-hmm. and so we're probably about a year behind where we wanted to be on that project. But uh, hopefully things are going well on that, and you know in the next couple months I announced that. Uh, you know, if you're fans of Henry or fans of mine, we're, you know, we're rolling cameras on his first feature. So everybody support that. So, you know, and then when that comes out, we'll come back and talk on your show. We'll both come back and talk about that. How? Movie on your yes, please. Because it's, <laughs> it's a genre movie. It's it's a little different, but it's a genre movie. There's no, uh, there's no monsters in it, but, uh, you know, there's, there's some baddies in it. And um, uh, so that's a big project. And then, you know, you never know what's going to actually come up. Uh, you know, it's interesting in this in, in this industry and whether you're sort of positioned in it like I am, whether it's an acting role or a producing role or a creative development role. I like to try to have as many balls in the air juggling at one time because you never know which one someone's going to snatch and go, let's do that one. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, it, it's fun to sit around and wait. Um, it's certainly easier on the, on the, on the knees and back if you just sit around and do nothing, but, uh, <laughs> the more proactive and the more things you have happening, the, the, the odds are, uh, the odds are a little bit better that something's going to actually light off and, uh, and get to happen. But it's a real world right now. We've all been affected by, you know, the, kind of the shutdown and, and we're kind of nav- trying to figure out, everybody's navigating their own way through that. Um, and trying to be proactive. And luckily during the pandemic, I had a movie to release domestically and internationally. So I was busy with that and, you know, trying to produce Henry's movie and get that deal developed. So we've been busy with that. And then now once the things start rolling and the world starts turning again, we could look at other projects that are super cool. And, you know, hopefully because of the release of the documentary and the, whatever success that happens, uh, that the success of the documentaries is, is out of my hands. Now it is up to the people that, you know, want to watch it or rent it or purchase it and comment on it and review it. Um, so, you know, you guys and all your listeners, you know, when it comes out, you know, you know, play, that's the only way, that's the only way we get to do other projects is if our current projects, you know, do halfway well. And that's social media, that's internet, that's, uh, you know, reviews, that's, you know, uh, and, and that's actually purchasing the product, you know, if, and when you can, even though it sucks asking for people to spend their money when no one has any money right now. So it's, it's, it's a weird time to be actually releasing a movie. So I totally understand, but it's a cool spot to be in. And, and hopefully it's well received, not only in the UK, but in all the international markets. And that will lead, you know, to other projects as well because of the success of, you know, your current project. I don't think you got any worries there with this. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, we loved it, didn't we, Paul? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm glad you guys got to. Uh, sorry, it was late getting you the link, but uh, and uh, but I'm I'm glad you guys got to see it, and uh, I'm glad we got to chat about it because uh, it makes more it makes more sense when someone has seen it. No, it's fantastic, Andre. I, I've got to say thank you so much for ba- basically making two really young lads, well, we're young, oh, young? Lads, very happy. <laughs> we were young. We still are young, kind of, not, <laughs> but you've made us so happy coming on. Um, loads of people are going to listen to this and they're going to really love the conversation as well. But it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Total oh, well, joy. look, I mean, I uh, go ahead, Paul. I cut you off. Sorry. No, no, it's just it's just a total joy. Like, honestly, this is like bucket list sort of scenario yeah. for me. So, <laughs> so thank you for coming on. I mean, absolutely, you know, jaw dropping for me. 
So thank you. <laughs> well, I, know, I I appreciate hearing that. I I it, it sounds like you know it, uh, it this this worked out well for for you. I hope it works for you. It worked for me. There's a great box cover too. Um, I <laughs> I enjoy talking about it. You know, with folks like you. You know, no matter. I love talking about the doc. I love talking about Monster Squad. I love talking about other stuff. Um, it, it's only because of you know guys like you and you know podcasts like yours and your listeners really that are that kind of outlet and that army that 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 makes things work and and it's why we get to do what we do mm-hmm. and it's certainly one you've got to understand that you've got to respect that and you've certainly got to appreciate that every once in a while you know you usually is is, is more often than not otherwise you take it for granted and and people will stop being there um and it's just fascinating how you know the world works and how this industry works and the fandom that monster squad has had and you know celebrated the movie and celebrated myself it's really unique to be a part of something like that uh, and it's just fun and it never gets old and it it leads to look what it led to it led to a whole other project i never thought i would do uh in a documentary about a movie that i was in that you know had this resurgence that we never anticipated and it's only because of cool people and, you know, awesome people out there that are enjoying you and what you do. And so I thank you for having me on to talk to your listeners and viewers about, you know, about this project, about Monster Squad. And hopefully we get to all hang out, uh, you know, at the next convention or next time I come to town and or be in the UK. And, uh, yeah. you know, please follow please follow me on Instagram and Twitter and follow at the squad doc. Uh, and for up new, you know, for the news and the updates about our UK release, which is hopefully soon. Um, and, you know, just stay in touch and uh, let's come back on your show and talk about, you know, other stuff or updates or when it finally does come to the UK or let's talk about Henry's movie or you guys pick a movie and I'll interview you guys about it. So be <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before you go, I just want to, we got we, one of our mates um, does this wicked company. When you go to the Horicon, hopefully you'll be there. Alley Cat Graphics. I don't know if you heard of him. He does. Oh, like, I've seen. I've seen their stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, no, that is. Yeah, that is super rad. See, that's yeah, you know, yeah. that's another thing that uh, you know is is a major part of the documentary that we were trying to is all of the fan art and the and and the things that people create based amazing. on Monster Squad is absolutely fascinating to me. And that was a thing that we wanted to stress in the documentary and, and used as best that we could, um, you know, with budget limitations and, and access. But uh, I definitely wanted to celebrate so many of these awesome artists, whether they made enamel pins or they did, you know, pencil drawings or, you know, 3D renderings or actual sculptures of things. And we tried that we tried to show as much as we can throughout the doc. I'd love to see like some sort of book with all that art in or something like that. That would be absolutely unreal. I, I agree. And the, you know, the real reason that there's this fan art and, you know, it just never stops. People keep creating it <laughs> uh, is because of, uh, you know, our friend Shogren, the artist who has made some really cool stuff, who happens to be in the documentary as an interviewee. But his artwork is also um, featured in it. He has a very unique style. And he's this awesome kid that lives in L.A. Uh, who was born in Central America and came to L.A. as a kid and and connected to Monster Squad. But he's the guy that really started kind of the curation and did actual curated multiple shows in um in stores and in museums about monster squad fan art 
and uh, and that's where kind of that inspiration came from to really try to reach out and and connect with some of these artists. And it was all because of Shogren providing his original curation lists and contacts that we got in touch with a lot of these artists uh, to allow them to have their art in the documentary. Uh, mate, thank Cheers, you so man. much for coming on. Seriously, that's that's been so great to hang out and just chat. No, um, I'm glad we uh, worked it out and could coordinate and uh, spend a little time together. All right, guys, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care of yourself. Likewise. We'll see you soon. Mate, it was so good. Like, coming off of that interview, I was buzzed. I was just like, wow. We did gush a bit, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Obviously, we cut out the end bit (laughs) where we went on a little bit and we probably were gushing a bit too much, but um, rightly so, because the bloke was awesome. as you heard, he's just such a really nice guy. To, just like so open to like being asked questions. Didn't have to come on. Just so open to being asked questions and just like really, really strong um, sort of, you know, answers and stuff. Like that so confident in the, in the way that he talked about. It. And it's just so interesting to just sit back and listen to a guy for fucking ages. And, you know, that that documentary, are we going to talk about something, all this in our own words next and stuff like that. But thank you so much, Andre Gal, for fucking coming on drawing last breath. What yeah. fucking that's that uh, that'd be hard that, to that, talk. Won't, that won't be the last. We'll have him on again, man, for definite if he if he would come back, you know. Yeah, his next project he's definitely coming back. <laughs> 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 he is a regular patron now, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he follows us on Twitter now. Oh he oh my god. <laughs> 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 Right, enough of uh, gushing over Mr. Gower. We've got to move on to our our movie from the vault. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the monster squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. Two thousand year old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town. There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big scary monster. What's happening? Do I see a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. This is it. This is our time. This is our movie from the vault. It is The Monster Squad. So a little synopsis, if you need one. If you haven't seen this film, you're, you're crazy. 
a young group of monster fanatics attempt to save their hometown from Count Dracula and his monsters before it's too late. The Monster Squad. I'm not going to read loads of synopsis because I really want to talk about this and I want to really, 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 really delve deep. So we're going to go deep cuts for all you Monster Squad fans because obviously we are huge fans of this movie. And Paul, my first question is to you, sir, because... I know that you're a huge fan. Tell me how you first saw this movie. I've got no fucking idea. I don't remember. <laughs> no, honestly, I, if you, I knew you were going to ask me that, but I was trying to think. I was trying to wrap my brain. Um, but I do... I must have recorded this um, off the TV. I don't... I don't think... Can I ask you? TDK or Scotch? No, Bastiff, mate, all the way. <laughs> um, but I'm just like, uh, oh, fuck. I, I, we potentially rented this from the from the video silent. This is this is what this would have been. Um, I can't remember though. And then we would have like maybe looked for it on uh, the TV because I know that we watched it over and over again. So it may have started as a as a video Solent rent, and then we just looked for it and looked for it and found it, and you know it appeared on TV like a year later or whatever it does, and recorded it because we watched. I just remember spending coming home from school and just whacking this on, like every night. This is almost like Star Wars level fucking viewing for for me and my brother and stuff. Like that. I just loved it just because of all because my mum because they didn't mind. It was kind of innocent swearing. It's just the random shit. You know, you know, there's a couple of shits in it, and that was, uh, you know, we didn't really care about some of the other derogatory words and stuff like that, but as much back then. But you know, it's got some strong language, faggot and stuff like that, which you know definitely wouldn't be around these days. But the even the the chicken shit and you know those sorts, there was a couple of shits in there, and I and I think asshole and stuff like that. But it's subtle enough for my, you know, mother and to allow us to watch it, and we just watched it all the time, and it's just one of the, yeah. It was just on constant, like gateway watch. horror as well, isn't it? It's like it is big time. I mean, we're talking. It's a. It was a fifteen in the UK, you know. So this had to be like a a special occasion to sort of pick this one up, um, you know, almost like fifteen. But and it was probably because of the language, and you know, there's some you know good bits of gore, and the special effects are fucking fantastic. But yeah, um, it was just it's just right up there with like watching Ghostbusters and Jaws. And, you know, and gremlins and stuff like that for me. This is a staple. And I've told you this before. Uh, Goonies. I just somehow missed Goonies mm. when I was a kid. I don't know how, but I missed it. But I had this, so. Who cares? Fucking great. That's just ace. What about you? What was your, do you, what do you, do you remember when you first? Absolutely. I definitely, um, I definitely, den- definitely rented this from, uh, an off license that was literally like, uh, about 10 meters from my house or where I lived uh, and it sold uh, it had a little it basically sold just alcohol but then it had a little video shop under the, under the cupboard under the stairs and I remember pulling out the cover and going yep that'll do me you know kids monsters pff, what more what more do you want um, and I think I remember I, and this is just remember I think on the same rental I watched BMX Bandits as well. <laughs> so I bought, I got, I pulled out BMX Bandits with Nicole Kidman in, 
and I had Monster Squad, and I remember watching them both. Uh, obviously, Monster Squad was way better, but I just remember putting it on and being just like absolutely shocked because it was it was obviously my first encounter with horror, but it was pretty scary for what age I was watching it. Um, it, was and, defi- it was definitely on that cusp. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I watched quite a lot of horror as a kid and stuff like that I was allowed I kind of watched the poltergeists and stuff like that those the kind of but the fact that yeah. you were this is the thing that it was one of the ones that you were allowed yeah. to really watch and I think that was that was why like you said it's like you got away with it because it was like initially it's, it's kind of a kids film but it's not and it's got like other things in it it's just like yeah I don't know it's just it's, it's a, a purely magical movie it's just think, something about it I think the be- one of the best things about this was like my rediscovery. So after sort of probably years of not watching this as an adult, I suppose it, it's then like picking up, finding like, what the fuck, wow, a Monster Squad. I haven't seen that in years. Mm. And then like finding a copy on, and I would have bought this on eBay. Mm. You know, and <laughs> fucking hell, Polish, the worst copy ever. <laughs> worst copy ever. Which me and Matt actually sat down. To, I I would have watched it. When I got it and go fucking hell, and I made Matt, I would have made Matt watch it when we found out that we both fucking knew about it, and then we <laughs> it's so fucking shite the sort of Betamax version that I watched, and we were it's just like, like oh, yeah, it's like it's been ripped from a Betamax, not even a VHS, is like like so bad quality, disgusted at the quality, and then <laughs> you know watching it again the other day and stuff like that, like um, and now I can any time I want, it's on Amazon Prime for fucking free, man. Yeah, so what if you haven't seen it, what the fuck are you doing listening to this? But this is like just everything about it, man. It's right. classic Universal Monsters, man. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. Who 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 directed this, Paul? Mr. Fred Decker. Oh yes. And what Fred did he ask? Did he co-written did he... co-written with Shane fucking Black. Shane know? motherfucking Black. Ah, oh, like is... we're talking Lethal Weapon. We're talking Predator, man. Come on, Fred Decker, Night of the Creeps. Thrill me. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know? we got to meet. I'm just gonna add that in there again. <laughs> Yeah, Matt's got his, like, VHS copy signed, little legend. But this is the ultimate fucking movie, man. I loved, like, Sunday afternoon monster movies, right? And this had them all in. Tell me another movie that's got them all in. Apart from... It never happened, would it? Not nowadays. The amount of red tape around it is just, like, crazy. Universal monsters. We've got... Fucking Dracula... Socio- the sociopath Dracula version. We got fucking nice, friendly, giant Frankenstein's monster. Gilman, he was just a cunt. Really. <laughs> he is, isn't he? Fucking, but it's a sexy looking Gilman. He's dropping those sea bombs. Yeah. Uh, and the mummy. And a fucking dark mummy. We're not talking no softy, you know, wrapped in fucking toilet paper. This had a face. This was like ghoulish. It was awesome. Not to mention what? like the skinniest guy ever. Which yeah. And the smallest guy. And a fucking great, sexy looking. I think this is one of the good, the good werewolves out there. I mean, the eyes are just nuts, but like, and obviously the tra- you you get transformations in the scene in this movie um, from werewolf to human to human to werewolf. You get bat to Dracula. Half bat, half Dracula. <laughs> no, there's some fucking proper special effects in this movie. This doesn't half ass it. This is like proper is, is the, practical We're effect. talking like Stan Winston's top guys working on all these monsters. And there were like 
we'll, we'll touch on it in a bit, but they were like given free reign. So it's like, right, there you go. There's the keys to probably what all of you guys have always dreamed of is basically creating your own universal monsters. But just put your slight own spin on it. And can you imagine that giving the keys to that property, how those special effects people felt? I know, man. This is like, you've got the Wolfman, you've got Gilman, you've got Drac. It's like, fuck, it's like, let's go for it. And the the stuff that like we learned from the um, from the documentary, which we'll talk about later as well, Wolfman's got nards. Um, the these guys went on to do fucking more, and like this is like almost like ground ground laid the ground for uh, for some really interesting like work. I mean the the Gilman didn't the dude go on to do Shape of Water or like was it Shape of Water and uh, uh, that bloody Hellboy and stuff like that. So you know it's like laid the groundwork for that. You got a group of fu- fucking misfits, man. You got the misfits again, and it's like staple. Sean, Patrick, Horace, Rudy, Eugene, Pete the dog, fucking even like Phoebe. That, that fucking dog, mate. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> that dog makes that fucking film twenty percent better. Fuck yeah, it already is. Just because he's quality. Every he, scene he's in, he's perfectly on it. <laughs> he is, isn't he? Like, how the fuck did he get? How, in? How, how did they train that dog? He was like amazing. How did Pete the dog get in the fucking? Uh, the treehouse and this is the <laughs> this is one of the things that like probably appealed most it this is the best representation in a kid's movie of a treehouse i mean we've had some good ones but this is a prop oh proper treehouse man no girls some, allowed <laughs> some of the posters on the walls and like a, there's an old fulci um uh, zombie poster on the walls it's got some good kudos in there return living dead yeah i mean even their fucking rooms were like wicked. You've got the classic Marvel, like, uh, wallpapers, amazing Spider-Man that we see. Um, oh, there was some fucking such a cool shit that on, on the, on the wall, my pet monster, you know, classic 80s stuff. I got, um, I have one of him. One of them. There was some awesome. He had like a Robotech pajamas and stuff like that. It's just like a kid's room, man. It's a proper kid's room. I, I, you know, I had that. You know, like, like when I was at that age, I had, my wallpaper was like um, uh, I think it was Superman and old an old Superman. What it was white with like the blue. It's just like it's the same as the the spot the Amazing Spider Man. It just like fit on the wall. It's fucking great. It's just such a cool like wallpaper, man. Um, it's just like the scary German guy from V. <laughs> but this is the thing: is he's known. He's not even got a name. I don't understand why he was just called Scary German Guy. He doesn't have a name. He <laughs> doesn't need a name. Just Scary I German know. Guy. It is, it's quality, though, isn't it? Because it, it, it has got everything. Like you said, it's got all the misfits. Or, or They all relate to somebody who's watching it. Like, you've got the scary guy in the house. You've got the gentle giant Frankenstein. You've got the annoying sister. You've got the cool one. Um, unfortunately, you've got the kind of, like, fat kid. That's wrong to say nowadays, isn't it? But and then you've got like the funny one, and then you've got the leader of the pack. Um, it's just like it's so cleverly done because it, you know a lot of people go, "Oh, this rips off that, rips off this," but it's it's basically bringing all these things that I love into a movie, and it's got monsters in it. <laughs> yeah, 
and, and that was one other thing but I found one other poster there was a Punisher poster on the wall as well yeah I saw that with, yeah. with the white with the white boots it was fucking great so that was that was like worth a mention but yeah you're right and it's got even got the classic bully AJ the, you know there's like uh, that was one of my favourite bits when he gets to be made to eat the fucking he's chocolate. from the Wonder Years isn't he yeah <laughs> He's oh, yes. Yeah. He's got such a distinctive face. Yeah. And he's such a douchebag. He plays a douchebag so well. Yeah. <laughs> 80s douchebag. The monster test. You know? Mm. Two ways to kill a vampire. You know? And two ways to kill a werewolf. There's only one way to kill a werewolf. Mm. That's fucking great. This, this just like, it's just a staple, man. And there's some um, Phoebe the Phoebes, stupid, you know, stupid, made up derogative terms and stuff like that, that kids make up. And the Nards, man, the fucking Nards, that lives on for fucking ever. That's in infamy. You know, I think that that's the only place you ever heard that in the 80s was the, the you, know, the, you know, kick him in the Nards. What? Wolfman's <laughs> Wolfman's got nerds, and it's just like it's that. It's just synonymous now. Plus, you've got a stupidest term for banging or having sex in the world to be dork to be dorked. <laughs> dorked. Dork. dorked. <laughs> I've never heard that outside that. No, you're a dork. That doesn't mean that you've been dorked. I don't know, man. It's fucking great language. I absolutely <laughs> love it. But it doesn't mean to mean anything because it means stuff to you as a kid. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And you had some of the great... It's just... It's so intelligently done. You had the arcs and stuff like that. And the best what? arc, you know, the best arc was for Horace. You know, that fucking bit. Right at the end with a bloody shotgun. Yeah, man. And, like, and, and like, Rudy is, like, like the guy that steps up and, like, kills most of them. But then it's... It, it's and then Horace just comes into his own, doesn't he? And it's just, like... It's very clever, this is like the more I think about the characters and the storyline, it is very, very clever. And that, that it's like it's due, it's due all the kudos in the world because it just is such a clever film. I mean, the fucking opening scene alone is like crazy. I it's mean, there would like, be no Stranger Things, man. This like Stranger Things literally got most a lot of its ideas from this movie. You know, oh, the yeah. lovers... Mate, Stranger Things nicked it from all the movies. Yeah. That's why that's... it exists. But, but, but it's got, you know, it's the Brat Pack, man. It's like, it's just that sort of, like, group of, like, misfits. It's just so... so that's cool. why we love it so much. It's, you know, that's why we love Stranger Things, because it takes us back to all the things that we absolutely loved in, like, you know, BMXs, skateboards, Pepsi, fucking awesome clothes, skatewear, and... All that sort of stuff. It's just like, it's so cool. The food you ate, they're just like the absolute zero fucks given for anything, you know? It was just live free, fucking do what you want. It's the 80s, fucking money is literally everywhere. It's, it's just fucking. But it had some really, really scary, scary moments as well. Like the bit with Wolfman and stuff like that, even when the Wolfman gets blown up and pulled back together. Fucking, that is a great scene. That scene is fucking awesome. I forgot how awesome it was. It must have been just watching your shitty copy that made it look <laughs> shit. But that, when I watched that, rewatched it, I rewound it and watched it again. It's just so fucking good. So good. One of the most interesting scenes out of the whole thing, which is probably 
I think is probably one of the most out of context of the whole movie mm. is when <laughs> when Dracula is in his car. He's fucking goes through the police car as a, like it like, suddenly turns into a ghost car and the car is cool as fuck. And he rips the door off of his own car, takes out some dynamite and lobs it into the into the treehouse. And, blow, and what is it? There's a there's a line he says afterwards. Oh, meeting adjourned. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> random line. But not only that, the, this is the dark bit. Is he just fucking comes out, gets another one, and throws it in the cop car? I oh, totally forgot about that. Sam. Yeah, I was like, oh. I can't. I was like, "That's fucking dark." Now, wonder it's like in the fifteen. No, <laughs> fucking hell! But that bit is so out of context for the rest of the movie. But you know that he's a fucking arsehole. Like that moment. Yeah, big time. He is an evil twat, and he's great. It's great scene for him. Um, you know, and it, it, it adds to the fact that when he <laughs> when he calls poor Pe- poor Phoebe scares the shit out of a like. You know, what is she, three or five? I think she was very young. Yeah, very young, yeah. And he's like, give me the amnesty, you bitch. And it's yeah. like, fucking right to her face. And, we, and we've seen the behind it's the scenes. It's funny as fuck. We've seen the behind the scenes on that. But yeah, she that is fucking nuts, man. Yeah. <laughs> that last fucking 20 minutes. It's fucking action packed. It, 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 it flows. It's got the montage. The montage. Yeah, thing, every, every film needs a montage, man. The montage. <laughs> it is so cool. Like all, even all the kills is just like, like you said, like the the way the mummy dies, it's just like brilliant. It's just like the chase. It's like a car chase. It's just like it's got everything in it. Everything. It's just so it's so clever. <sighs> just, this was this was one of my favourite ones to actually review in the end and uh i'll tell you what as part of this as well we got to watch the uh the documentary and the documentary is something else or you know it's cool it's one of the famous lines from the movie wolfman's godnard spoken by our beloved uh horace and it's a a love note to fans and to um your you know to the love of something you know, the fact that it's centred around the Monster Squad is, is awesome because Monster Squad is incredible and it touched so many of people's lives. But it is a, a film uh, about fandom and, and and also about a real sadness to kind of like, you know, somebody's dream to make this fucking movie, which is absolutely fantastic, but it didn't have that fucking... Well, it um, got lost. It, it, just... it, it got lost. It didn't have that cl- critical um, acclaim. And it kind of it didn't destroy people's careers, but it didn't make people's careers as it should have done. Um, and it and the, and you know the, the the sad thing about these cult movies is the fact that people discover them at this time where it's the money and the acclaim, which is probably port, important more to the artists and stuff like that, um, is not there, and uh, they sort of lose <laughs> lose hope. Some of these we've heard it time and time again, but. As fans, we don't really care that much. We don't really see it. We just go, fuck, we found this movie. It's fucking amazing. And there are other people out there who, who kind of like it too. And we get together and we talk about it. But it's a really interesting documentary. Um, as ones, I, I watch a lot of these sort of um, movies, even on like games, gaming and 
Dungeon Dragons, and sometimes it's like even the content is no interest of me whatsoever, but I'll watch it because I know that if if it's got the right level of heart and it's got the passion for the project, it makes such a good documentary. And this is like seriously like one of the one of the, it moved me. This this documentary is incredible. That is why, obviously, you heard if you heard the interview with Andrew how he made it, and it's like like he said, it's not a making of. It's this is um this film has been made to show what the movie has done in people's lives and kind of like just explaining why it got lost and, and, and the reasons and and how it got legs and then came back. It's just an incredible story. And it is sad in places. It's really, really sad. It's just like to see a film just get missed just because let's be honest, you know, it came out at the wrong time, it's up against some other things, and, and you know, it's down to marketing and, and other things, And but it, it was done, and it was, unfortunately, you can't change things, and this documentary just shows how how loved it is, and how important it is in people's lives, and it just does such a great job of it, just a perfect, perfect job, it's, it's just so clever, and I can't wait, like I said, for UK people to to watch it it's not far off obviously you heard in the view it's, it's coming out we just gotta hope that it comes out soon and for fuck's sake go and watch it because it's fantastic even if you don't, haven't seen monster squad you know maybe watch the monster squad and then watch it or do it vice, the other way around but it has to be seen because it, it's just so, it is a special movie like i said my heart grew like fucking tw- two times watching that documentary uh it's just so clever so good I think it's testament to like our friendship and stuff like that and what sort of stuff that we like, mm. um, you know, and like the fact that we've got this love for Kevin Smith movies and stuff like that as well. And like Clerks was um, this critical success and stuff like that. It got a lot of acclaim, obviously Sundance and stuff like that. And he got keys to the kingdom and he made his, this amazing, this amazing movie, which is probably one of the first, uh, Kevin Smith movie to watch which was More Rats and More Rats fell and died and didn't get any of the love and attention and the money I suppose that it was supposed to get and then again on VHS it found this fucking amazing yeah. audience and that audience grew and grew and you know it's like Kevin the flip side isn't it monster. It's, like, it's the flip side it's, it just shows you that it, it, sometimes it just comes down to luck um, <laughs> and and sometimes your film isn't lucky, sometimes it is. Um, and unfortunately, Monster Squad got overlooked this one time, but fucking boy, have we made up for it now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's just like, I just fucking, this deserves a beautiful special edition coming out in the UK. I'm sure it will come eventually. Um, it just, you know, it deserves a lot of love. I mean, even. Um, I'm, I'm never, I'm, I've never said this, but I am like going to push more and more people i'm never going to stop talking about this movie and making i want i want to make sure that every single person every one of my friends has seen this movie and every and their kids yeah to me to you know the legacy will live on this yeah. will live on it's, it's just a it's a perfect movie it is it's like i'm even thinking about showing it to monroe soon i've talked to her about it and she wants to see it and i'm like you know maybe she should maybe i, should I don't see that. why not mate she, she's at the right age yeah she'd probably like it so, you know, 
Look out for it on her podcast, Monroe <laughs> with Movies. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you little tart. <laughs> anyway. Well, come on then. We, we, that, we just poured our hearts out on this. Gushed one. out of this movie. Um, what, what, uh, what Matt's facts have you got? What more have you got for me? What can you tell me about, you know, give me some tidbits. Wow. I've got some for you. One more thing to talk about before you yeah. go into facts. Go this movie has its own fucking song, man, uh, <laughs> which you which you've heard because it'll be on, it would be on it. Um, <laughs> it's got its own rap. I mean, the Ghostbusters got its own fucking song, and you saw the success of that. This had its own fucking song, man. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, the monster rap. Go on. What have you got? Well, there's some interesting ones about this. Did you know? Liam Neeson was Nelly in this movie. As Dracula? It was supposed to be, apparently, um, and he was—he never shot any of the bits. They just took took the other bloke instead. But I can see it. You know, Liam Neeson would have been quite cool. What do uh, you think? I mean, he's, I, mean he, I don't remember him when he was, like, um, when he was younger and stuff like that. I mean, we had the amazing... Um, Duncan, you know, Duncan Regger as, uh, who played, and he, he played such a, a, a fearful sort of, um, psychopath. <laughs> well, sociopath, I, I call it more than a sociopath. Sociopath, sorry. Sociopath. But he was in, but he was in, you know, and he's in, he, he's got a long standing sort of acting career. Oh, no, yeah, he was great. He was and he's another one that, he's got another V connection as well, by the way. Right, he played Charles. I'm going to move on now. Next one. <laughs> So my fact number two, um, yeah, unfortunately the sad death of uh, Brent Challen that uh, played Horace. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that until recently. Yeah, he actually died uh, in 1997, and he was only 22 years old, and he died of pneumonia. Um, really, really sad. Uh, they cover it obviously on the documentary, but yeah, that that was really sad to hear. Um, but fucking boy, what character! And and I just thought, I just thought, you know. Why wasn't this, again, it's a travesty that this guy, that kid didn't get picked up. Because he's the sort of face you'd see in all the 80s movies. Do you know what I mean? They're like yeah. that, that one kid that would have been in so many movies. So that's sad. Um, but, and, you know, I'll let people watch the documentary and find out more on that because there is there's a really nice segment in the documentary about that. Yeah. Number three. Duncan Reha, you just talked about him playing Dracula. You know that part where he's playing, uh, where he says, um, give me the amulet, you bitch. Yeah. And he had to pick Phoebe up by the face. She was so scared of him that he would not wear the contacts and the fangs whilst doing that bit because it actually scared her so much that he took them out. (laughs) Poor, poor Phoebe. I know, it's card for life. So, this fact, I'm going to read this out. This is really interesting because I really want to read this. According to director Fred Decker, Shane Black's draft of the screenplay was so huge that it opened, it basically opened the film fe- featuring Van Helsing accompanied by Zeppelins and hundreds of men on horseback storming Dracula's castle. Decker stated that this sequence would have cost more than the final budget of the film. <laughs> But apparently it was like weird. hundreds of pages long. It was weird, that first little bit and stuff like that. You know, I, fa- I would say this has probably got a fair budget on it, has it? Well, it, the budget was $12 million. Not bad for the 80s, though, That's is it? quite a big budget. And you yeah. think about, right, so how much do you think this movie made? Bearing in mind it was only on the cinema for a, about two weeks and then it was pulled. Please tell me at least five. 
3.7 million. Oh, that's a shame. That's a real shame. Yeah. I mean, you can see why they did it, but like, like, you know, they were up against the Lost Boys. They were up against, you know, uh, uh, quite a few different movies at the time. Um, the, the rating, the age rating didn't help. The fact that they weren't showing it in that many cinemas, the fact they took it off after two weeks. You know, it, we can go through that for ages, but hey ho, you know, it is what it is. Um, the Wolfman. Apparently, his face was um, designed around Stan Winston's face. <laughs> it does look like him. If you look at a picture, yeah. it does look like him. I love, his, I love the broad shoulders. This is an interesting one. The late Dustin Diamond, that unfortunately died recently, a.k.a. Screech, from Saved by the Bell, was in a full scene in this movie where he basically deals baseball cards with uh, two main characters, uh, but it's completely cut from the film. It must be on the extras, though. Possibly. It might be. I don't know. Interesting one about the characters of the use of the Universal Monsters. It's really weird, because obviously this was shot on the Universal lot. You know, they're like, you know, you can use the monsters, but they weren't allowed to make them look like, legally look like some of the other monsters. So obviously the guys that were doing the special effects had to change little bits and pieces, you know, like moving the bolts from the neck to the... Sculpting and making them look really different, but I thought it was interesting because it gave. Them I thought they got. To, I thought they just got free reign to like redo them. No, they're not. Not totally because they weren't allowed to make them exactly like it. That's why there's okay. subtle things like you know, obviously Gilman is based on creature from the Black Lagoon, but they couldn't say that. But they um, did say that. There is a mention of the creature from the Black Lagoon somewhere. Somewhere. Because there's that there's that level of confusion. But there's it's only like, slight changes in each character, so they wouldn't yeah. you know, be the same as other people's creations. I suppose it, in case it made legal problems from the people that actually create, created those characters. But fuck it, they did amazing jobs. I mean, that Gilman suit is literally a one-piece suit. And that's awesome. It's crazy, it's crazy. Mental. Seth Green, screen-tested for a role, even did a read with Andre Gower. Uh, and they remain good friends, but obviously he didn't get in the movie. But he did get it a couple of years later. There you go. So there's <laughs> always silver linings. Although that was a TV movie, so yeah. <laughs> at the time, so I don't know how excited he would have been for it at the time. And my final uh, Matt's fact is, if you look at the house where Dracula goes up to, which I think is Sean's house, um, it's actually Myrtle's house from Lethal Weapon as well. No way, that's fucking cool. What and the toilet that scene? That film was done by Shane Black. Ah, see, that's the thing that they mention in there. It's like if they'd done, if they'd almost released this movie after Shane Black's *Lethal Weapon*, it'd have been a whole fucking different kettle of fish. Well, the the, the fact that they said, you know, maybe they should have used his name on the poster. That yeah. might have even made something weird. You know, somebody's mistake, man. You know, somebody's. Oh, wow. fucking... But then. Look, yeah, I don't know. Then you get a different. Do you get a different movie? Do you get it? Does it then become big as as big as Gremlins? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. But then look at the cult following. It's weird. Exactly. Yeah, enough... It just did well. Cable did well. You know. There's also an interesting one, and uh, we forgot mm. to mention actually the the movie that he watches with his dad. I thought was pretty cool. Um, that was called. It was like Groundhog Day, uh, seven or eight or something like that that they call it. And obviously Groundhog Day hadn't been out yet. Mm. But that was a that was a slasher, the sl- the name of the slasher in that. I thing. love it when they're talking about it. it goes on uh, about something about blender. It goes oh no, that's number seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so fucking cool. That's yeah, that's quality, man. Oh, that was a great chat. I loved it. Right. 
so good. So just got everything: horror, funniness, great re- relation, like the score effects, music, era. <laughs> yeah, the dog. Pete what are you uh, thinking about, Ray? Oh fuck off! Do you even even need to ask? Is it nine? We're gonna say it together. A oh, fuck no. <laughs> Ten breaths out of ten. It's a big, no fat, breath. ugly, beautiful ten. <laughs> out a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, absolutely stunning movie. And if you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. And then go and watch Wolfman's Got Nerds when it comes out. Nerds. Nerd, nerds. Nerd, nerds are those nerds, nerds. nerds are good, wouldn't they? They've yeah, oh they're great. Got the sugar that they made you go crazy. <laughs> um, oh, man. Oh, well. what, a, what a doozy. What a, what a great time to be alive. So what's next then? What is next, Paul? That's oh, what my, I want to know. It's you your pick. pick. It's my pick. And right. My stellar performance. I don't know how <laughs> you're going to pick out the bag now. I mean, I don't think I'm going to... Oh. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to beat Um, But, fuck it. Let's go Stephen King. Let's go Firestar. Andrew Barrymore, another kid actor. Let's do it. Let's do Firestar. Firestar Twisted Fire. It's a weird one to do because it's such a... I don't know, like... It's been a while it. since I watched yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I used to watch it all the time in the furnace and stuff, but um, I haven't watched it for a while. I don't know where it's. I can't. I remember. I don't know. It's going to be interesting what rewatch. Yeah, much it stands up. Do you know what I think? Stephen King rules. Yeah, fuck right. So what the <laughs> fuck? All right, then, dude. Okay, well that's uh, that's my pick. So next episode we've got. Um, Lucky, which is on Shudder. Will so, it be Lucky or will it be Mucky? Mm, and we're bringing something cool for something to scream about. And our move from the vault I've just pulled is Firestarter. Fuck yeah. And I guess that's only one more thing to say. When there's no more room in hell, here's another podcast. I am the devil and I am here to do the devil's work. You can follow us on Twitter at Draw One Last. Instagram at draw one last breath or pop us an email at draw one last breath pod at hotmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>